Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire I went down, 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 and the flames went higher, and it burns, 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 the ring of fire, the ring of fire. The taste of love is sweet, when hearts like ours meet. I fell for you like a child. fire went wild I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down 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 and the flames went higher and it burns 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 the ring of fire the ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down 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 and the flames went higher and it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire The ring of fire Well, let me tell you something. Uh, never a Johnny Cash fan, although I've been uh, known at times uh, to wear black under my red sateen jacket and my red beret. But this song was just perfect. I know they did a movie about Ring of Fire, called it Ring of Fire. But I know particularly in my household, it was a tumultuous day in the Sliwa house with uh, Lone Wolf One. 
Nancy running back and forth in the Central Park, howling in the middle of the day. The rescue cats, led by the patriarch Apollo and the matriarch Athena and the little ones, they're running around, scurrying around because it seemed whenever that solar eclipse uh, had appeared all throughout the globe, from Oregon to Brazil, as the moon passed in front of the sun, which lasted anywhere from like three to five minutes, that was it. My wife just bolted out of the house. She's in the park. She's on top of the boulder there, the entrance to the Rambles. She's like howling uh, in the middle of the day. People are looking at her in the rain. It's like, this woman is ubats. She's titched. She's like lost it. And she's uh, just baying uh, to uh, an eclipse. And there were people uh, looking around at it all over the world, you know, through those protective glasses, uh, like those 3D glasses you used to go to the movies uh, and see 3D movies in. And I think the last time this happened, Trump was president and he came out on the balcony of the White House and he looked up without the uh, protective glasses and the Secret Service was telling him, you got to put them on. It'll burn your irises out. I remember when I first heard of that, irises. What? How could it burn? I don't have irises in my eye. There's no woman named Iris in my eye. Although nowadays, you never know. You never know because you get a chance to self-identify as a man, woman, transgender, asexual, polyamorous, you name it, dependent on the day. Now, next April, I'm really going to have my hands uh, full at the Sliwa household. Because it's going to be a total solar eclipse. So that means Nancy's going to be out in Central Park all day long as Lone Wolf 1. As that's going to move across the United States of America, Antarctica will finally see a uh, ring of fire. But not until 2026. And I'm hoping, ladies and gentlemen, that with all the technological improvements that, in fact... The uh, seals, uh, the walruses, and the penguins will finally be able to hear WABC on an app. Remember, even though it's melting away, it is a continent. It is a landmass underneath the ice, unlike the North Pole, where Santa Claus and uh, Mrs. Claus and the reindeer and the elves are going to have to abandon ship because there won't be a North Pole at the rate we're going. So 2026, I have a feeling that the WABC app downloaded into your iPhone or smartphone, you will be able to hear WABC then everywhere, on every continent, in every new cranny and corner, from Kathmandu High in the Himalayan mountains to uh, Death Valley in the deserts, in what they call the high ground uh, on its way from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, where obviously... Wherever, whatever happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. And it is the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, decadence and debauchery. But let's first uh, move back from the ring of fire. And by the way, how many people are out there claiming today, oh, my God, we got to hide. Oh, there's partial eclipse oh, coming on the heels of Friday the 13th. And, of course, how could we forget the global day of rage and world jihad? Nothing happened. Nothing happened, and people use that as an excuse. Those deadbeats, Goldbricks, slackers, 
Noah Duels to basically stay home and not go to work. I can't tell you how many people said, oh, you, you know, I could have I could have got hit by one of three things. And I said, what is that? And they said, oh, you, you know, the global jihad. Who knew? I said, we all knew nothing was going to happen. It was all hype. Don't believe the hype. Oh, but Friday the 13th, you know, that's been with us uh, forever. Uh, yeah, I say, yeah. Okay. So avoid crossing over where a black cat has just walked. And by the way, all black cats were hiding uh, in our household, hiding because they recognized that Friday the 13th was a day in which they had to be out of sight, out of mind. Uh, but avoid that, you know, avoid stepping on lines, cracks, whoever's superstitious out there, you'll be okay. And of course, of course, the most important one, uh, the ring of fire, the solar eclipse. So you had the trifecta, the trinity, the troika. And I was thinking to myself, ladies and gentlemen, because some of you were copiously and very cogently listening to this very radio station, as you often do, hopefully more rather than less, at approximately 12 midnight, 24 hours ago. And you could tell that there was something wrong. Uh, we uh, were a radio station that had gone awry. It's almost as if... Well, I have to describe it in a sort of semi-technological way. It's some of the normal kind of things uh, that help us boom out the 50,000 powerful watts of sound that makes it the most powerful radio station by day in the nation. And then once it's dusk, a global power of a station to compete with any BBC 1, 2, 3, and 4 and all combined. But we had a problem, it turns out, on our circuit board, yes, our circuit board. It was the tuning cord. The, I guess what our uh, crackerjack engineer ended up finding out after hours and hours of laboriously searching. Dan, the man, found out that we were missing the spark coil. That we had the tuning coils in place, but somebody had somehow altered the spark coil. Coil which suddenly threw everything into Mishikash. And we were only capable briefly of picking up AM frequencies. We had completely lost our FM sister in solidarity. WLIR, which reaches the East End. We were totally kaput. You couldn't hear us out in the Hamdens at all. No, not at all. Our FM signal had gone down for the count. FM meaning freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, and, of course, that Mama Luke Frank Morano. And then as uh, our Cracker Jack engineer, Chief Engineer Dan, uh, went down with his uh, uh, analog uh, tools, he realized that he had rung, rung the wrong set. We used to be analog, we're now digital. And so with spit, and bazooka bubblegum, and thread, and good old-fashioned elbow grease. Dan was able to attach our board, our circuit board, to the incoming signals and produce the most important thing, the recognizable outputs that your terrestrial radios, your laptop computers were picking up on the stream, and of course, your iPhones and smartphones on the WABC downloaded app. It was a struggle, I can only tell you, having watched this. 
and then very diligently and torturously with hours and hours of labor put in. Dan the man had to wrap every one of our cathodes and tubes in aluminum foil. He had only tin foil. Now I recognize that dates us. I remember as a child in first grade in lunchroom uh, at St. Matthew's Elementary School up in Crown Heights, Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue, the Joe's Fight Nuns, that the tin foil that my mother had wrapped my peanut butter and jelly sandwich in, better than the saran wrap, uh, better than the wax paper, had begun to rust. Because tin will rust. Unless you use rustoleum, and let's face it, you're not going to put rustoleum on wrap for sandwiches. So that's when my mother said, Ah, I bought that at Bohax. I will never buy tin foil again. We must buy the Alcoa aluminum foil, which was brand new at that time. And see, Dan recognized that our cathodes and our tubes had been covered by tin foil from a previous life. And he had to very strenuously strip every bit of tin foil off those tubes and cathodes and replace it with Alcoa, Alcoa aluminum foil. And then all of a sudden the amplifiers came to life, the transmitters came to life. And most importantly, Broadway Bill Lee... You and our staff of Big Tony there was struggling to get the calls for a while. We were thinking we'd have to uh, use Morris code uh, to actually uh, convey signals to our, our millions of listeners on planet Earth. And then quickly, very quickly, the diododes, the diododes. Have you ever seen a diodode? Of course you haven't. You didn't get an electrical engineering degree. No, no, you didn't. Not at Manhattan College. We'll talk about that later. I found out that uh, the now departed Thomas Gambino, son of Carlo Gambino, is a proud graduate of Manhattan College with our own uh, Rudy Giuliani and Ray Kelly. Yeah, organized crime. Tommy Gambino, who's dead, thank God. But anyway, I digress. And then finally, we were able to produce those recognizable outputs that all of you now are enjoying. Ladies and gentlemen, I I am truly in belief that we were the victims of a cyber attack. And there had to be a reason. No, no, it wasn't Hamas or Islamic Jihad or Fatah. It wasn't some Muslim radical organization intent on knocking off our AM and FM signal. No, I, th- I believe it was Red China. And I believe this was a signal to me because it occurred on my broadcast. It didn't occur on any other broadcast. And from now on, I had to discontinue using the verbiage that I grew up with. The Red Menace of Peking, China. Better known as Red China. Mao Zedong, the Cultural Revolution. And then they told us we had to refer to Red China as mainland China. I refused. I would not be sucked into that vortex. I would not become politically correct. To me, they were always Red China and will continue to be Red China. And, oh, maybe I did pay the price. Maybe they were picking up the signals in the areas that they have co-opted, like Hong Kong and Macau with Stephen Wynn. 
and his casinos there where he said he'd rather do business with the red Chinese, a.k.a. the mainland Chinese, than even America. Well, stay there, Steve Wynn. Your sight challenge to begin with. What the hell would you know? You're like my husband-in-law, David Patterson. And then, of course, there's the eye of the prize of the red Chinese totalitarian dictatorship and regime. President Xi. He wants Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan. I support Taiwan. I supported Chiang Kai-shek versus Mao Zedong. And because of that legacy, I believe I was responsible for us being discombobulated for quite some time in that first hour of broadcast just 24 hours ago. Our discronificator... And the oscillator was oscillating up and down and all around. And I looked at that oscillator and I say, my God, it's like like we're in the bowels of Chernobyl. And this nuclear power plant was ready to go kapoom. And then very quickly and strategically, our, te- our head engineer, Dan, collected his wits. He huddled up. With Big Tony at the uh, phones, and of course, Broadway Billy, 45 years of his experience. And he came up with a solution. And believe it or not, when all else failed us, he went back to the old-fashioned repair of the circuit board that was critical with Bazooka, Joe Bubblegum. All three of these guys were chewing the gum I don't know how many teeth they lost, how many cavities they had, but they had to chew it vigorously, chew it to the point where it was malleable, where it was like silly putty, where they could put it on the circuit board, and then with string in hand attached... W-A-B-F-L-E-W-A. Put it all back together so we wouldn't be... We wouldn't be dealing with the old analog signals that had clogged up our ability to broadcast to all of you, but now we were back on track with our digital circuit board. Thank you, thank you, Dan, the man. Yes, Broadway, Bill Lee, and Big Tony. It was teamwork, ladies and gentlemen, against the red Chinese menace. And I know this happened a while back. You probably heard my friend, my enemy, depending on what day it is, friend one day, enemy the next. Congressman Peter King described to all of you on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound that there was a Friday in which he and his lovely wife, along with Vito Fisella, now borough president of Staten Island, and his lovely wife invited me to a very she-she upscale restaurant in the Upper East Side that served Italian cuisine, a place where I couldn't even afford the hors d'oeuvres. And they were huddling with me because they had an idea about a petition and something they wanted to do to make an impression on all of America. And I was all on board until I stared across the dining room and I saw my arch enemy out of the Cary Garden projects of Coney Island who went to stinking Lincoln High School, then Georgia Tech for a year. I don't know, he was a yellow jacket. And then to the New York Knicks where he was knocking boots and a total disgraziata, Shanda. Stefan Marbury. He looked at me. I looked at him. I was high fornicating, mad dogging. He was too. He was with the biggest black woman I have ever seen in my life. I mean, she was enormous. 
And I basically, with my eyes, told her, it's none of your B.I.B. business. Stay out of this, sister. This is me and Stefan. We're going to get it on right here. And I remember Peter King saying, Curtis, calm down. Vito Fasella said, calm down. We got our wives here. I said, I don't care who the hell we have here. This guy is a red Chinese agent. They built a statue to him outside of the stadium there in the heart of red China, in the heart of Peking. It'll always be Peking to me, never Beijing. And I think I set into motion what was clearly a cyber attack against the greatest station in our nation by day and the most powerful, respected station and call letters that are synonymous with greatness over a century, WABC across the globe. But we were able to recover. We were able to get back on track. And although we took a licking, boy, we came back ticking until the break of dawn, and that's what I intend on doing. No more analog. We are now completely digital. And we will produce the recognizable outputs that you heard prior to my show with Tony Orlando without Dawn. With Cousin Brucey, Bruce Morrow, and of course, the Prince of Staten Island, uh, Vinny Madunio. And I promise all of you that we will stay on track once I return 8 o'clock at night to 10 on Sunday. Well, we're already in Sunday. And then, of course, what many of you are waiting for, while I sort of go through my blabberosia verbosia, the animal welfare hour that is really hosted by my my uh, lovely wife, uh, Nancy, who had a very long day in the rain in Central Park as Lone Wolf One, she was baying to the moon as millions watched that solar eclipse with the darkened skies as the moon passed in front of the sun. Lasted anywhere from three to five minutes. I didn't even recognize her. She looked like the wolf woman. And the cats were like, what the hell happened to her? And just think... Next April, a total solar eclipse that will move across the entirety of this great country of ours. But I am back in the saddle, ladies and gentlemen, starting, I figured, with uh, Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash, a song, a songster I've never played. If we could go out with Johnny Cash, a Ring of Fire. Remember, never once, 35 years of radio history, that I ever play Johnny Cash. And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire but I saw, you know, on TV one time, Johnny Cash at Folsom. I've actually visited Folsom, which is up near Sacramento, between Sacramento and Stockton. And, man, that is like, uh, even in some ways, I would say more ancient than the movie Shawshank Redemption, that prison that we saw there. I mean, Folsom, downstairs, the cells... 
are total boulders in the wall. You ain't escaping from that place, man. I don't care if you had dynamite. You're stuck in the bowels of Folsom to the day you die. And knowing some of those bad hombres I saw down there, they deserve to stay there. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I fell for you like a child. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. tell y'all, supporters of the state of Israel, Jews, Gentiles, the clock is ticking. Uh, you have exactly seven days to complete this mission to eradicate Hamas. And the whole world, the whole world will turn on you and declare that you, in fact, are the oppressors. You are the colonizers. You are the barbarians and not Hamas that committed that pogrom. A week ago, in which they slaughtered babies, children, young adults, older adults, and took hostages. Yes, they will claim that you, Israel, you, BB, that you are the one responsible for this. Seven days. That's all you got, seven days. And I was uh, sort of panning around and looking at the demonstrations Obviously, most occurred on Friday. Some occurred uh, earlier on Saturday. And I was struck by what this one guy was saying uh, in the middle of Philadelphia, which is surrounded by its own uh, terrorists, except they're domestic terrorists, gangbangers, they're carjacking, they're doing drive-by shootings, drug dealers, sex traffickers. Uh, and their local yokels uh, who belong to gangs in Philadelphia. But this one guy said what so many people have been saying the last few days who are pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas. Uh, let me get a little flavor of that. Can I get a little flavor of that? Hold I think that we should all give an applaud right now to Hamas for a job well done. When they woke up in the morning, and they found, and they found the field hands in the house with a knife 
everybody to cut the f***ing throats. I was late to the news, but when I heard it, I smiled. I don't want to hear that bull 250, 250 innocent Israelis are dead. Again, again, I swear, I salute Hamas. A job well done. Well, well, well. And I figured, uh, what else? What else could there be? And now I'm seeing there was a follow-up to a fight that occurred at Columbia University a little earlier than the day when I tried to visit it, but they had the campus in lockdown Thursday night on my way back from Riverdale, helping the residents up there organize against Manhattan College turning a dorm into a migrant center. I'll go into that later on. So I got off of 116th Street on the number one train, walked around. They had barricades up. They had their own security, NYPD. They weren't letting anyone in unless you were a student. So I say, hey, what the hell? I'll go down into the armpit of the cesspool of crime, better known as the subway system. But apparently there was some fallout from a fight that had occurred between the pro-Israel side and the pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas side. Except both involved Jews. So you had Jewish students, some from Israel, who were going around on campus in Columbia, putting up posters, talking about the atrocities committed in Israel by, of course, Hamas. Then you had this uh, person, a Maxwell Friedman. Maxwell Friedman, a Jew, with the uh, shmata on his head. And uh, naturally the kafir, you know, blocking his face. And he goes up to the residential hall with a wooden stick. And he hits that Israeli Columbia student right in the head. And starts screaming, F you crackers, wussies. And then all of a sudden, he got arrested and he was charged with a hate crime. Well, what is he, a self-hater, a a Jew uh, who hates himself and sides with Hamas and the Palestinians? But what was interesting is the police said that you had to use the proper pronouns in describing Maxwell Friedman. Friedman. You see, Maxwell Friedman said, I am a woman. You must use she and her pronouns in referring to me. And the cops, instead of saying, hey, mutt, hey, skell, Get in the paddy wagon. Shut the F up. You don't tell us what to do. But the the new NYPD, which has been neutered and uh, itself uh, now uh, approaches these situations very much like a capon, a castrated rooster and a gelding, a, crast- a castrated stallion, said, oh, you're right. We got to redo the paperwork because we had referred to you as a he, a him. And she wanted her paperwork to reflect that she is a she and a her. I'd have given her a wooden shampoo and a concrete facial. What the hell was this? A Jew attacking other Jews? That Jew supporting Hamas? And she, he, it, whatever, goes to Columbia University. So that led us into looking at the demonstrations that were occurring all over the country on college campuses. We talked about Columbia. We talked about Baruch. Sid Rosenberg probably had a heart attack. J-Lo, who uh, 
had gone to Baruch. Uh, apparently, George Santos had, too. He said he was a NCAA uh, champion uh, volleyball player at Baruch. And people believe that crap. Plus, remember, he said he was a Latino and a Jew and a homosexual, right? He, he had scored the, the Trinity, the trifecta, the troika of what every Republican desires to have as a candidate. An untouchable, right? You're a Jew, you're gay, and you're Hispanic. Man, the Republican Party loves that because they don't have much of it. But it turns out that... <laughs> That was not the case. We did not see George Santos, except he was telling some guy to get out of the halls of the House of Representatives. Uh, You're a supporter of the Palestinians. I would have said, hey, George Santos, why don't you get the hell out of here? So I'm looking at all the demonstrations. And there was a a demonstration at Clemson University. Clemson. That's like on the border of Georgia, South Carolina, Gamecocks. No, not the Gamecocks. Excuse me, the Tigers, I think. And they've been the NCAA champions uh, for a few years in football, hardcore football, hardcore patriotic campus, big ROTC enrollment there. And I'm going to ask all of you before I get into this, what do you think that the demonstration on the Clemson University campus was about? Were they there in favor of Israel or were they there in favor of the Palestinians and Hamas? I'm going I'm to let you digest it momentarily. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What was the rally at Clemson University about? Did they support the state of Israel or were they supporting the Palestinian cause along with Hamas or maybe a mixture of both? 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I have one thing to say. You better work. Ladies and gentlemen, the demonstrations at Clemson University had nothing to do with Israel, Palestinians, Hamas. The last university I would ever think this would occur at is Clemson, the heart of the South. Big ROTC enrollment. They're big into football. It's like like being on the campus of Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs, you know, Herschel Walker, Clemson. 
Clemson University students had a rally to demand the return of menstrual products in the men's bathroom. I kid you not. I'm going to repeat that again. Clemson University students had a rally to demand the return of menstrual products in the men's room. Apparently, uh, a group of uh, on-campus Republicans complained to the administration (laughs) and asked the question that I would have asked. What the hell are tampons doing in a vending machine in the men's room? And apparently, the administration said, yeah, what are they doing in the men's room? We had no idea. Well, dressed in bright colors while clinging to signs with messages such as, hello, it's the 21st century, dozens of students attended the protests this week calling for the reinstatement of sanitary products in the men's bathrooms. Any mention of Israel or Hamas or Palestine, nothing, nothing. So the campus Republicans, which are a large organization in a place like Clemson, yes. You know, a place like Columbia University, no. NYU, no. City University, no. Baruch, no. Uh, Hunter College, no. This is Clemson. Something ain't right. This is unbelievable. And so the campus organization in Clemson is called Take Back Pride. They organized this event. They claim the machines are necessary for the transgender community. Quote. Hold up. Wait a minute. Yeah, well, this is what they said. (laughs) Today, we are marching for the reinstatement of the menstrual products in the men's rooms in Cooper Library and throughout the campus. Clemson must return these machines dispensing menstrual products in the men's bathrooms because... Is making this campus unsafe. I'm figuring maybe unsafe because of potential terrorism. No, unsafe. And because of this, hate and all of those things will emerge. If anything, university needs to step up and needs to protect these students who demand that as transgenders, when they go into the men's bathroom, that they can get their tampons from a dispensing machine. Now, if I ever, I mean, if I ever see you here again, you die just like that. And I'm saying to myself, you go to what a men's room nowadays, it's not like it used to be they would have a condom dispenser. You would walk in, and if all of a sudden you got lucky... Be wondering who can lend you a quarter or 50 cents to get a rubber. Remember, that's what it was called, rubbers and Trojans. And naturally, all guys, they wanted to be supersized, you know. Uh, they didn't want the uh, mini-me uh, Trojans. And then, remember, you could get a plastic comb. You could get a little Kleenex, you know, those kind of things. They don't even have them in the men's room anymore. So... <laughs> Here they are. They call themselves queer people on the Clemson campus. Hello. 
And they said that they refused to magically disappear. So instead of working against them, by taking away the menstrual products from the men's bathrooms, making people feel unwelcome, there should be support for the community that is already fighting to feel safe here. How you doing? I would suggest you just transfer the hell out of that college. See if you can find a college in which you walk into the men's room and they got a machine not dispensing condoms or plastic combs or even Kleenex tissues, you know, a little package of Kleenex tissues. But instead, dispensing tampons. This is the most ridiculous thing. And who did they have on the campus as their spokesperson? Who else? Dylan Mulvaney. So I recently told my parents that I may be a little bit romantically interested in women. And that was a big shock for them, considering the past 10 years of coming out as gay, then queer, then non-binary, then trans. And I think it was just a bit of a shock. So I tell my dad and he goes, well, I would love to see you get a woman pregnant. And I said, oh, no, no, no. She would be getting me pregnant. And then he said, what, do you have a vagina now? And I said, never say never. And then I tell my mom and she goes, I would just love to see you own property one day. And in California, that's sort of, you know, a, a parent's dream. It's not having kids or getting married. It's, it's, are you able to own a house? Um, wouldn't that be nice? Ah! At seven and a half percent interest, how are you going to get a mortgage, Dylan Mulvaney? And the Fed threatened to raise that mortgage rate. But wait, doesn't stop there. Dylan Mulvaney was on the stage, you know, with that, uh, Tiger uh, paw print uh, that is synonymous with Clemson University, you know, all orange. And she had this to say about what makes her different than uh, women. I was walking around and everyone was staring and I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? And they were all staring directly at my crotch. And I went, oh, I forgot that my crotch doesn't look like other women's crotches sometimes because mine doesn't look like a little Barbie pocket. And then she finished the rally. She was on the stage. And everybody was getting all for toots, all excited. Oh, Dylan Mulvaney is here. And she went on to say that if you misgender people, that means if uh, you want to be sort of spoken to as a he and a him instead of a she and a her, that should be like a federal crime, I think. Thinks that that's what she told the students at Clemson. Like the articles written about me using he pronouns and calling me a man over and over again. And I, I feel like that should be illegal. I, I don't know. Uh, Excuse me, ma'am. No porn at the bar. Oh, it's OK. I'm transgender. Oh, I, I had no idea. Do whatever you want all the time. Uh. <laughs> Uh, no, no protest on the campus about whether you support Israel or the Palestinians or Hamas. The protest was to demand the reinstatement of the menstrual dispensers that were unjustly removed from the men's bathrooms on the campus of Clemson University. I think uh, because it is South Carolina, I'm pretty sure it's in South Carolina, right on the border with uh, Georgia. 
I think that presidential candidate, former governor Nikki Haley, should respond to this. It should become a presidential issue. Uh, Senator Scott, who is uh, from uh, South Carolina, running for president, Republican nomination. And, of course, a uh, regular uh, guest of Sid Rosenberg, uh, Nancy Mace, that he refers to as the eight outreditors, who decided that the previous Speaker of the House, McCarthy, had to go. Uh, Scalise uh, was a racist because of a speech he gave about 20 years uh, ago to an all-white supremacist group. Boy, that was like pulling a rabbit out of the hat. And um, I guess they like Jim Jordan. We'll find out on Monday. But uh, that should be uh, the question in the next debate, the Republican debate. Should there be menstrual dispensers in men's rooms at universities across America? Because... People, if they don't have it, they won't feel safe there. Well, if you don't feel safe there, transfer to another campus. Man. Let's go to Bobby in uh, Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Thanks for taking the call, Curtis. Curtis, I knew we were in bad shape, but uh, after watching the, the, the protest this week, I seen the sign um, "Queers for Palestine." Don't the queers know that they'd be the first to be chucked off the roof? Uh, it's amazing to me, Curtis. These people are retarded. You know, listen. My father fought in World War II. He was on a B-17 radio operator that bombed the hell out of Germany. My half my family, his family's from Poland. The, the ones that stayed behind in Poland, they all got wiped out by the Nazis. Then I look on the post, front page of the post, see a Palestinian girl holding up a SWAT stickers. 80 years ago, Curtis would be fighting this stuff, and it's just really weird and ugly head again. And these knuckleheads, these college kids who are supposed to be smart in these Ivy League schools, are siding with these their enemies. Because if they had a switch to kill all of us, they would. These people, they're supposed to be smart. They're, they're a bunch of morons. Well, you are so right in terms of gender identification. Uh, I traveled uh, many, uh, many countries in the Middle East, the Persian Gulf. Never saw one uh, rainbow flag of gay pride in any of those Arabic-speaking, Urdu-speaking, Farsi-speaking enclaves. But I saw plenty of them in Tel Aviv in Israel, that's for sure. They have a gay pride day. They have parades. Uh, They recognize gays, lesbians, transgenders, whatever it is you want to refer to yourself as. And in fact, to be completely honest, uh, there are many women born in these other surrounding countries that are enemies of uh, Israel that flee and seek asylum status in Israel simply because they will be killed or maimed or tortured or jailed and brutalized and raped in their Arabic-speaking country, in their Urdu-speaking country, in their Farsi-speaking country. That's a fact. Uh, in fact, many will go to Tel Aviv. They'll march in the parades. They'll fly the flags. They'll, they'll go to the cafes and the bistros and the other locales in Tel Aviv that fly the rainbow color flag. And they will denounce Israel. It is like a self-hating gay, like uh, a self-hating Jew who would side with Hamas. You'll have some gays and lesbians there who escaped uh, uh, the Arab countries, 
those countries that surround Israel who hate it, seeking asylum in Israel because of their uh, their gender identification, because of their sexual practices. And yet we'll badmouth Israel, who's hosting them. Man, it is, it is crazy. But we'll get into all of this because I'm going to take you to the break of dawn. And remember, I will be talking about stories that nobody else at this uh, station will talk about because in many instances, they repeat one another's programs. I I choose not to do that in order to keep you away. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. In the movie version of Fiddler on the Roof, there was a point I could have swore the Jews in the shtetl were dancing and drinking schnapps with the Cossacks. Yeah, the Cossacks, who uh, would generally be committing pogroms against the Jews. Uh, at least, at least I think that's what I saw. Maybe I was wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe some of you can correct me. But wasn't there a portion of Fiddler on the Roof when they were drinking schnapps and having sponge cake and they were dancing? And some of the Cossacks jumped in and started dancing too. And generally in history, the Cossacks would be the ones that would begin the pogroms and the slaughter of the Jews in the shtetls. Am I right or wrong about that? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So uh, we're sitting with our uh, assistant uh, program director, Kevin Droish, who happens to have uh, been born and raised in Westchester. I think Mamarinette. So I say, Kevin, um, you know, 
I don't identify with your generation. You know, I'm like uh, times two your generation, okay? I'm 69. Some of you are like in your late 20s or 30s. So um, let me... uh, let me ask you to find somebody out there that is of your generation who is not necessarily uh, attached to the Palestinian cause, the Hamas cause, or the cause of Israel, or the Jews uh, who supports the state of Israel. And give me an idea of what they are posting and talking about. In reference to what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Gaza, the West Bank, and the surrounding countries who are hostile, for the most part, to Israel. And so he pointed to this one uh, podcaster and he said, oh, this guy I went to school with. Well, I said, is he a Jew or a Gentile? He goes, be honest with you, I don't know. I said, I'm looking at him. He looks like Rasputin. You, you look like a Hasidic Jew. He goes, I'm not Jewish. I said, I didn't say you're Jewish, but you look like you're a Hasidim with that Yankee cap on. If you put a black cap on with a black coat, you could be walking the streets of Crown Heights, walking in the 770 Eastern Parkway world headquarters of the Lubavitch. Uh, you know, talking about how uh, the Rebbe is going to come back. Menachem Schneerson. That ain't happening. But anyway, keep hope alive. Isn't that what Barack Obama said? Keep hope alive, Lubavitches. Ain't happening. So now, let's listen to this guy. Again, I'm not even sure what his name is. All I know is he looks like Rasputin. I don't know if he's a Jew or a Gentile. Imagine, here's Kevin Josh. He went to high school with this guy at Mamaroneck High School. He doesn't even know. He sat in the same classroom. And Kevin Josh, not Jewish, he wants me to know I'm not Jewish. I said, well, you look like a Hasidic. You're wearing a New York Yankee baseball cap. If I swap that out for a black hat and a black coat, you could be in Williamsburg, Borough Park. Uh, you could be in Kew Gardens. You could be in Crown Heights. And you would look like a Lubavitcher. So let's listen to this guy that he went to school with for four years in high school. And has no idea whether he's a Jew or a Gentile. I would like to grieve for the 1,300 Israelis who were killed. I think their deaths were pointless and sad, and I hate thinking about them. Um, But I can't. I can't grieve, not really. Neither can you. How can we grieve the death of 1,300 Jews when they are used as a justification to destroy a people? How can we grieve when Israel has ordered the evacuation of North Gaza, 1.1 million people, an act which will have devastating consequences, which according to the Red Cross is illegal under international law? How can we grieve when Netanyahu supported Hamas, saw them as an important instrument in the division of Palestine? How can we grieve when so many Palestinians have been killed before, pointlessly, tragically. No, in its apartheid and its cruelty, Israel has taken away even grief. And what a great tragedy that is. You got seven days, BB, to wipe out Hamas. (laughs) Some schmuck, some putz, some guy who looks like Rasputin from a Maranac. 
has this up. A lot of young people have similar things up. I don't know if they're Jews or Gentiles. Doesn't really matter. It's a generational thing, I got to tell you. And Jews, you're making a real big mistake. I got to tell you, you're making a real big mistake. No, no. Not that you're going after Hamas. You got to do that. You got to wipe them out. But the fact that you're going at it alone in terms of showing support. Where are the evangelicals? Have you reached out to the evangelicals, Jews? Have you? They are the number one supporters of the state of Israel. I know Jews who hate Israel, who aren't ultra-religious like some Hasidic groups who don't believe that the state of Israel can exist until the Mashiach returns. I'm talking about secular Jews who hate the state of Israel. The evangelicals adore Israel. They love Israel. They go on pilgrimages to Israel. They spend money there. In the aftermath of the Second Intifada, when uh, Yasser Arafat said, go ahead, start throwing the stones, take out your slingshots in the West Bank, and attack, 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 and they did. Nobody was going to Israel. And don't tell me you as a Jew, you went to Israel after the Second Intifada. You didn't. There was nobody there. I know. I was spending like two weeks there broadcasting back to the old WABC. And I rode the buses and I broadcast from the buses that they had blown up. The Sabaros uh, pizza shop, uh, which was in Jerusalem. I traveled as I had before from the Golan Heights to Elad. Although this time uh, when I went there, the uh, barricades were up at the Gaza and uh, pretty sure Hamas was in charge at that time. Yep, Hamas. And they got elected. Uh, they got elected by the people to replace the Palestinian uh, authority of the corrupt Yasser Arafat that stole all the money there, didn't even clean up the garbage. There was sewage in the streets. Uh, plumbing wasn't working. And that's why Hamas got elected by the Palestinian people in Gaza. Now, there hasn't been an election since. But I, I want to know at these rallies and demonstrations, And it appears now that the uh, Palestinians are attracting uh, more participants in these rallies and demonstrations around the country uh, than the Jews are. You got to expand your wardrobe options, man. There ain't that many Jews around. It's like you're such a small percentage of the world population, such a small percentage of the American population. Such a small percent. Why wouldn't you be inviting other groups to join you? Like the evangelical holy rollers. They go to Israel. They pledge support to Israel. They spend money there. They go to all their shrines. They go on the pilgrimage. They want to see where Jesus went through the Red Sea. I remember I was right there in a lot. Got all these holy rollers. There. This is after the second intifada. Say, yeah. Jesus came through the Red Sea and he worked his way up the Negev Desert with the chosen people who were escaping Yul Brenner. Uh, you remember uh, in the movie, of course, Yul Brenner as the Pharaoh. Why are Jewish organizations not inviting the evangelicals who could turn out hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands? But once again, I've been at these rallies before. It's Jews talking to Jews, Jews complaining to Jews, and then Jews arguing with their fellow Jews. Because there are some Jews 
who are actually supporting the Palestinians and more directly Hamas and do it openly and proudly and brazenly and did it in Grand Army Plaza right opposite the Brooklyn uh, Central Library and the monument there. Right there, it was Jews for Palestinians. And there were some who held up signs that said Jews for Hamas. And then they went over to the Schmuck to put Chuck E. Cheese Schumann's house right there in there on Prospect Park West. They demonstrated there. Uh, he has like three demonstrations a week there. He's almost never there. He just happened to be there. And now he's flying off to Israel. And, oh, I feel so much better knowing that Chuck Schumer is in Israel. Boy, if I were a Jew in Israel, ready to potentially go to war against Hezbollah in the north in Lebanon possibly Bashir Assad in Syria, uh, but definitely with uh, Hamas in the Gaza. I feel so much better knowing that the Shmantapach, the Shmendrick, the Pisha, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer is there with another bunch of senators, uh, and they're going to really help the state of Israel. You get out of here. It's for FaceTime. So um, can anybody explain to me why you are not engaging evangelical Christians? Because let me tell you something, Catholics ain't going to be with you, man. No, 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 no. No, Catholics ain't going to be with you. Uh, and uh, the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox, they ain't going to be with you. No, it's a land grab in uh, Jerusalem. I'll explain that momentarily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, they ain't going to be with you. There are already Eastern Orthodox sects that are writing to their congregation. Man, Israel is over the top, man. They are. That's it. It needs to be a ceasefire now. You're not going to see the Catholics there. You're not going to see the Eastern Orthodox there. You certainly aren't going to see imams there. And even if there was a brave imam out there who would say, I stand with Israel, there'll be a fatwa in this guy's head before he finishes his speech. Have you seen any imams out there? You know, I know Eric Adams, the mayor, was saying, oh, yeah, uh, the other night at Gracie Mansion, under the tent, outdoors, in the backyard. By the way, they could house 200 illegal aliens easily. I didn't see any imams. I asked Rabbi Joe Potasnik, who was there. He's always there. He's like landslides. You know, he might as well be hermetically sealed uh, to the left tuchus of Eric Adams, while A.R. Bernard, you'll hear them in a few hours, is sealed to his right tuchus. I said, uh, Rabbi Joe, where were the imams? Well, there was like one or two. I said, I didn't see any of them. I wasn't there. I'm just talking about the videos I saw. Now, you would think he would know them by now, right? Oh, well, they were, they were there. Well, who were they, Rabbi Joe? Uh, so the imams are not with you. We know that. Uh, the evangelicals, uh, nobody is reaching out to them and saying, you need to come to our rallies. You really do, because you so love the state of Israel. You so support us in peacetime and wartime. After the second intifada, Jews didn't even go to Israel. Evangelicals did. How do I know? Because I was there for two weeks. Crazy Nigerian, Christian Nigerians, they were on their pilgrimage, all dressed in green. It seemed like we were following one another. Bethlehem, Sea of Galilee, Tiberias. See, wherever I went, they were going. And then there were American evangelicals. I say, hey, are any Jews here from New York? Quiet. There was nobody. So um, 
Man, you got to get boots on the ground, you know? You got to show support here in this country. Uh, these Palestinians turned out their supporters. They had big demonstrations all over the country. They were outside the White House. You think? You think maybe a few evangelicals, uh, like, like in just a few hours, they're going to be in their big mega churches, right? You know, they got like 5,000, 7,000. If the, if the reverend said, hey, we're going to join the Jews, the chosen people, they'll be out there in a heartbeat. They're not going to do it. Meaning the Jews are not going to invite them. She should. I went to that unity rally at Dag Hammershaw Plaza. Oh, I was the only one who said, what good did that do? Jews talking to Jews, no Gentiles on the stage other than three politicians who just made me blanch. Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, Eric Adams, the guy was a supporter of Farrakhan, right? Oh, he loves us. He, he loves your money. That's what he loves. He knows your checks don't bounce. And of Tish James. Of a Tish James. Let me be straight up with you. These politicians love you Jews because your checks don't bounce. Don't you realize that by now? It's all about the money, man. It's all about. Hey, can you find me? What, what is the war cry of Eric Adams? Show me the money. That's what it's all about for all these politicians. Schumer, Republicans, they always want to know. You're going to give me money. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. So as he looks out into the crowd, he goes, it's a lot of money, a lot of contributions here. One thing I know about this group, their checks don't bounce. And if they do bounce, you can shame them by letting everybody else know, hey, you know, uh, your friend there, Shlomo, is check bounced. Oh, my God. I mean, it's so obvious. You got to look. It turned out a lot of demonstrators, you know, after they they were shamed on that first day of demonstrations in Times Square, they're showing swastikas, they're, they're applauding Hamas. So they, they went into retreat for 48 hours, and then they came back mad numbers all over the country, right outside the White House. Now, what are the Jews going to do? Maybe evangelicals. Uh, could you bring your congregation, so, show solidarity since you love the state of Israel so much? Want to bet they don't do it? I know these folks. I know these Jewish leaders. They're not going to do it. No, no, they love talking to their own people. And, you know, you get 10 Jews in a room and you get 10 different opinions. You get the evangelicals in a room and they're all in solidarity. They're not arguing with one another. They're saying... Where's the demonstration? We'll be there. The preservation of Israel. Because on the day of rapture, God will come down and we will all be saved. Except you Jews are going to have to convert. Because if you don't convert at that point, you'll die. Maybe, maybe that's a reason. (laughs) Oh, God. To me, it's so easy. You look at it. It's a numbers game. It's the reason that I tell Republicans, you got to get moderate Democrats. If you don't get moderate Democrats, you're not going to win. You're not going to, oh, Democrats, evil. Yeah, yeah, okay. You keep saying that, and you keep losing elections. 
Jews, you like having demonstrations and unity rallies where you love talking to one another, kibitz, kibitzing with one another. You got to get Gentiles with a majority. I looked at both these demonstrations. Blacks were sitting it out. Hispanics were sitting it out. Asians, definitely, man. I couldn't find any. And white ethnics. Now, hipster millennials, oh, they love that. Oh, Palestine, give me a kafir. I'm from Iowa where there are more pigs than people, man. I'm going to put my kafir on. I'm going to photobomb back to mom and say, you see what I'm doing at Columbia University? You think the, the parents are proud? Some of them, yes. Some of them are like, oh, my God. What did we send them to Columbia University for? We should have sent them to an ag tech some agricultural college where they'll learn how to slop the hogs and go, suey, 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 suey. And then some Jew will say, yeah, that's traif. And then the observant Muslim will say, yeah, yeah, that's not halal. We can't eat that stuff. And then Farrakhan will say, you can't eat that swine. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be something good has begun. Cat Stevens, who uh, hit the uh, world music scene, sold 100 million, 100 million records. 100 million records. You know what that is? And then all of a sudden it was 19... What year was that uh, that all of a sudden he decided to flip the script? I think it was 1979, and he decided, oh, I'm going to dedicate my life to religion. Nobody knew what the hell he was doing. And then all of a sudden, he's signing on to the fatwa of the Ayatollah Khomeini in Tehran against Salman Rushdie, author of Satanic Verses. He changed his name to Yusuf Islam, a hardcore Shia, who actually felt that that Salman Rushdie should be killed. And that almost happened a year ago, remember, at that literary festival outside of Buffalo. It was like an NPR conference, all peaceniks. And some crazed Iranian living in New Jersey in his mother's basement decided to go there and fulfill the fatwa. Thank God he was not successful, but he did a hell of a lot of damage to Salman Rushdie. But I digress here. Enough of Cat Stevens here, because then he came back in 2006, renewed his musical career. I don't know what he calls himself now, uh, but I know he loves money. And boy, he's making mad money. You know, the residuals from all these songs, and more importantly, 100 million records sold. That's a lot of records. And he was good. No doubt about it. He had great songs. Peace Train, Father and Son, Morning Has Broken. We could go on and on and on. But let me give word to the wise. Any Jews out there listening, whether you're secular or religious, whether you're Reformed, conservative, orthodox, Hasidic, let me explain to you. 
You don't go with the mainstream Protestants because they will forget it. They won't have nothing to do with you, especially the Presbyterians. Uh, they'll be on the side of the uh, of the Palestinians uh, with, in a heartbeat. Methodists, eh, Lutherans, oh, oh, they're in the Holy City. Lutherans got a little piece of that action. Oh, we're going to be talking about that because <laughs> oftentimes these battles with all these religious groups, it's over real estate. It really is. Uh, but the evangelicals, they'll be there. Catholics ain't going to be there. Oh, no, they will not be there. I'm telling you. But the evangelicals will. And the imams, yeah, show me an imam who stood uh, in unity with Jews over this issue of the right of Israel to defend itself and uh, declare war on Hamas and wipe them out. Have we seen any imams emerge? Uh, did Eric Adams bring any imams up on the stage? Of course not. Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, no. Joe Biden, no. The smartest thing that the Jewish mockers could do, because they're always busy arguing with one another, is reach out to former Vice President Pence, who needs a boost in his campaign because it's going nowhere. But he is a favorite of the evangelicals, because he truly is one. Say to Pence, you've got connections with all these evangelicals. Could you lead rallies of evangelicals in support of Israel in their time of need? I guarantee you, they'll have 500,000 people out. 500,000 people. Remember when Screwy Louis Farrakhan had the Million Man March in Washington, which I went to? It wasn't a Million Man March. It was a, it's a large march. Uh, I'd say probably about 500,000. Do you know what march was larger, double the number, and didn't get anywhere near his attention, and it was put on by the evangelicals? And, you know, we've been talking uh, Colorado University, because of its uh, new coach, Neon Dion Sanders. There was a, let's see if some of you out there can answer this trivia question. There was a Colorado football coach who led the effort that brought a million evangelical males into the Washington Mall, double the number of what Farrakhan was able to get in the Million Man March, which was really 500,000. As coach, he was not only an evangelical, but I believe that his quarterback was African-American, married his daughter. So he was a, a true believer. And he summoned all of them to Washington. Remember the promise keepers? Remember that? Double the number. How do I know? I was freaking there. Double the number. They clearly had a million. Clearly had a million filled up the Washington Mall from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial, and it bled past the Washington Monument. That's how I knew there was more. They went beyond the Washington Monument. The Million Man March of Scooby Louis Farrakhan just about made it to the Washington Monument. So you you say to Mike Pence, Mike. This could be a boost that you need because in the polls, you're going, going, gone. Pull together all the influential evangelical televangelists, of which there are so many. In just a few hours, 
Broadway Billy, turn on the TV, right? Uh, from uh, Pretty Boy there in Houston. Who's that? Osteen there. You know, if he gets another facelift, his uh, face will snap like an old rubber band. His Barbie doll wife. The Cephalo Dollar, African-American. Maybe even if Reverend Ike is still alive to get him out there. There are so many televangelists, particularly in the South. A dollar a holler. And we'll even bring back Jimmy Schwager. Oh, I have sinned. He's still got that church in Baton Rouge. You would have a million boots on the ground. Jews could not get a million supporters on the ground here in uh, America because, yeah, you really, uh, other than New York and some major cities, and not that in comparison to the number of evangelicals who love the state of Israel, love Israel. In fact, they'll be on that stage, have that Bible in their hand, and say, we're not just believers in the New Testament. We go back to the Old Testament of Abraham. I saw them in Hebron when I was in Israel. You know what a scary place Hebron is? Man, you look around, those buildings at night, the lights are out. It's mostly all Palestinians, man, and they're like mad-dogging everybody. I mean, evangelicals going to the tomb of Abraham like, yeah. We're on our way to heaven. Not any evangelical leaders were asked to come. Can anybody correct me on that? Probably not. Maybe some of you, some some will wise up and they'll start getting evangelical. Boy, that would have been a great opportunity at that unity rally at Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza. Jews have filled that up before, especially whenever the uh, General Assembly of dictators, tyrants, and despots come here. You know, when the Iranians are here threatening death and destruction, they fill up Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza with Jews protesting the Iranians. Not unusual. Should have been the evangelicals. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Edward in Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Edward. Yeah, Curtis, thank you for taking my call. Just a couple of things. The companies need to get this college requirement uh, taken off because when you get out of high school, you need to go straight to work. And you got two carriers moving out to foreign uh, over there in Israel. You got two carriers over there. We need to take out Iran. Remember the Marine barracks in 83? We No more playing around. We got to take these people out. Now, Edward, I certainly remember uh, that Ronald Reagan sent the troops to Beirut, and they blew up our barracks, and Ronald Reagan retreated. Couldn't retreat fast enough out of Lebanon what do you mean, go at Iran? What, 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 would, what do you have in mind? What are we going to do to Iran? Oh, I mean, we should have done uh, to Iran what we did to Iraq. I mean, after 9-11, that should have been the target, not Iraq, in my opinion. So instead of Afghanistan, we should have gone to Iran. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're the state sponsor, number one. Oh, God. Yeah. How'd that work out, Afghanistan? How'd that work out, Iraq? Uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, how do how you think that was? Oh, they'll welcome us 
in Iran. They welcome us, right, with open arms. They'll have flowers and candies for us because they hate the Ayatollahs. That's true. They do hate the Ayatollahs. But that doesn't mean they're going to welcome us. Oh, God. Here we go. Here we go. Making the same mistake again and again and again. Let's go to Gary. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Curtis. Curtis, guess what? You're going to be one of them people up with Jesus Christ. You know why? Because you're a wonderful person, Curtis. You're consistent, and you're wonderful to everybody. All the good people, Curtis. And you you may say, oh, religion, ba-da-da. That's not true. You're wonderful. Curtis, you're going to save New York. It's going to be all right. I'm a Jew for Jesus. I just want you to know that. Okay? Gary, uh, now, let me ask you a question, uh, Gary. Were the Jews for Jesus asked to join the unity rally to support Israel? You know what, Curtis? Uh, everybody knows. Oh, uh, Jews know. And uh, even if they don't know. People who are born-again Christians, we love Israel. We're waiting for the Mashiach to come down, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a Jew, a rabbi, okay? And he doesn't just love people who say, I love Jesus. He loves wonderful people like you, Curtis. I don't mean to toot your horn enough, Curtis. You've been consistent for 50 years. You're a good person. You take care of everybody. You don't want money. It makes me sick, these politicians and stuff. But let me tell you, let me tell you something, Gary. I can conclusively tell you that the big Jewish mockers, the big leaders in the community would have nothing to do with Jews for Jesus. Nothing. But you're right. They should. They should. What what are they afraid? You're going to convert their other members? They need friends. They need supporters. Look at the college campuses. Look at Americans who, as the clock ticks, suddenly from being sympathetic and empathetic to the plight of the Jews who were victims of that pogrom launched by Hamas, will suddenly turn on Israel and the Jews. That's that's history. I give you seven days. Seven days it's going to happen. The buffer could be if you organized all the evangelicals. You know what a mighty force they are in this country. And look, I'm not a holy roller. I'm not an evangelical at all. I certainly don't agree with everything they stand for. But I know of their love of Israel more than most Jews. I've seen them there. I see how much they spend there. Pilgrimages which helps the treasury of Israel with the tourism. Any invitations to any of the evangelical leaders to join uh, Jewish leaders in solidarity up on this stage in unity for Israel? How could it be unity for Israel if it's only Jews and only Democratic Jews, I might add? When I stood there and I said to the the leaders, the JCRC and the... uh, UJA, I said, you know, I'm here. I, I could speak. No, thank you. Uh, didn't you invite uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin? You know, he did serve in the American military. He's a Zionist, a supporter of Israel, a Jew. Uh, he's no longer in elected office. Uh, what about uh, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis? She's a Republican and a elected congressperson. Uh, Malinaro, I, I can run through Lawler. 
uh, plenty of elected uh, Republicans who could have stood. They didn't want Republicans up there. So what they had is another rally where Jews are screaming at Jews, and everybody applauded, and everybody went home, and I said, what a waste of time. Who did you end up getting involved in your campaign to support Israel? The quickest groups that were there were the evangelicals. I'll bet you not one group was called. Not one leader of an evangelical group was called. I'll bet you. Let's go to Jim in Harrisburg. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Good night. How are you? I've had better days. I've had better days. Me too. I'm a gay nurse, right? I identify myself as a man. And, um, you know, the news media here in Pittsburgh, where I live at, they're always demonizing gay people like you do. But you know what? People in glass houses from throw stones. And this reminds me of the Civil War, the one that shot her around the world. You know what? When one of come out of there, someone should put a bullet in one of your heads and it'll all be over. The fat lady was sitting right there. And the Christians, they don't come out in the daytime. They stay, they come out in the day and night. They're scared. They're scared out of now, um, Jim, what makes you think that I hate gay people, Jim? Demonize people. You know, how do you get your rocks off, Grandpa? Is your cock all wielded up? Does your wife suck your cock, or how's it go? Ooh, Jimmy. Let's get the Felsnap the soap. Uh, let's get the uh, Rokish. Hmm. Well, see, see, I get all, I guess because we talked about Dylan Mulvaney. I guess Dylan Mulvaney is, what do you say, she, her, he, him. I don't know. I'm so confused. But I was walking around and everyone was staring. And I was like, oh, okay, what's going on? And they were all staring directly at my crotch. And I went, oh, I forgot that my crotch doesn't look like other women's crotches sometimes because mine doesn't look like a little Barbie pocket. And so me commenting on Clemson University not having a demonstration about Israel or Palestinians or Hamas, none of that. They had a gay group of students that rallied on the campus of Clemson University to demand the return of menstrual products in the men's bathroom, tampons. I want you to say it like you mean it. God speaks. And now make it personal. God will speak to me. Now, does that make me anti-gay? That that makes no sense. You know, they don't even have the dispensers in there for condoms anymore. It used to be go. you needed a condom. You knew you could go into a men's room as long as you had a quarter or two quarters, and get a rubber. That's what they call them. And then also plastic, little plastic comb, little Kleenex. They don't even have that. But imagine you go to a men's room at Clemson University. This is not Brandeis University in Boston. This is not Hunter College in New York City. This is not Baruch College, you know, very liberal colleges. That's not Clemson. So you're in the men's room and you're saying, damn, I need a condom, man. I got lucky. What? Tampons. I need a comb, man. I need a no combs, no Kleenex. Got to blow my nose. 
damn, I got packs of tampons here. You think that's in the wrong bathroom and should be in the ladies' bathroom? What are you talking about? If you don't put it back there, I'm going to be afraid. This is spreading fear. I don't feel safe here anymore. Well, transfer. And then one of them is holding up a sign that says, queer and trans blood will be on your hands if you don't put back the tampon dispenser in the men's rooms. But because I say that's crazy, I hate gays. Hi, I'm Jackson Bird. I'm a YouTuber and writer from New York City. My pronouns are he, him, his. Hello, everyone. My name is Francis Tolino. My pronouns are she, her. I'm Adam, and my pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm Asia. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. I bet you couldn't even find Asia on a map. (laughs) And you name yourself Asia. It's hard enough, right, to know are you a he or a she. Now you have to have multiple pronouns. And what happens if tomorrow they're not happy with that pronoun? They're able to flip the script, and you must abide by whatever they refer to themselves as. I would say it's quite confusing. I go into a men's room. I want condoms in the dispenser. You go into a woman's room. I'm assuming there's a dispenser that gives you tampons if you need it. Then again, Clemson University, right? That's the big burning issue on the campus. Not what's going on in Israel. Not whether you're pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas. It's whether if you believe that the gay student organization has been so traumatized, it's not safe because they don't have a dispenser for tampons in the men's room. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. It's not time to make a change Just relax, take it easy You're still young, that's your fault There's so much you have to know Find a girl, settle down If you want, you can marry Look at me, I am old, but I'm happy once like you are now And I know that it's not easy To be calm When you found something going on But take your time Think a lot Why think of everything you've got For you will still be here tomorrow But your dreams may not To explain when I do, he turns away again. It 
it's always been the same, the same old story. From the moment I could talk, I was ordered to listen. Now there's a way, and I know that I have to go away. I know I have to go. And he did catch Stevens. So born of a father who was Greek Orthodox, who himself had been born on the island of uh, Cyprus, the Greek portion. He then came to England, the age of 10, I think he came down with a severe case of tuberculosis, almost killed him. Uh, warning to the wise, we now have an epidemic of tuberculosis in our city. The health department of New York says... It's stretched out of resources to deal with it. And it's only come about in the last year. Oh, you mean the illegal aliens bringing in tuberculosis? Did we stop them at the border? Did we test them? Uh, Did we inoculate them? Did we vaccinate them? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So where did this tuberculosis come from? Well, you're a xenophobe. You're a racist. No. No, I'm using common sense. But uh, here was Cat Stevens' great, great songs. 100 million records sold. Like this? Great. And then he decided to wig out and become a follower of the Ayatollah Khomeini. Ayatollah Khomeini. And he signed on to the fatwa against Salman Rushdie and Satanic Verses. And then after a period of time where he disappeared, he was on the no-fly list as a possible terrorist. He returned in 2006, and now I don't know if he performs as uh, Yusef Islam or Cat Stevens. I have no idea. Yeah, you did. You left. You went to the Ayatollah Khomeini and to the belly of the beast, and now he's back. Let's go to Russell in White Plains. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Russell. Thanks, Curtis. I'm looking forward to the Waldo Gardens uh, stories because I took those thousand steps. And I heard them thanking you for caring for cats. So you you appeal even to the opposite side. You know, they like you, too. Well, thank you. Thank you, Russell. Yeah. I was concerned. You got very red in the face, though. I think you should play music and maybe take questions. Make it like a radio show when you go to these demonstrations, okay? Oh, that's good, although I must applaud uh, the rebels out at Midland Beach outside of that senior citizen uh, center that they converted to a migrant center after kicking all the seniors out. They were out there in the rain today protesting. Mm. That's hardcore, hardcore. Well, you're very inspiring, Curtis, uh, although some people get the wrong idea. There was some guy going around saying that you and Nancy were working on a crossbreeding program for pigeons and hawks to kill rats. I mean, there was some crazy... Rumors going on about you out there. I'm but. sure, but you have to understand, uh, when it comes to Nancy, she was so taken up with the uh, with the eclipse that took place that I really didn't have much time to talk to her today, Russell. She was in Central Park baying to the moon. Uh, let's go to Bob in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? Um, just wondering in, uh, if when Cat Stevens plays his guitar, do you think he aims it towards Mecca? 
Um, I'm not sure now. I know for a while there he dropped off uh, the radar screen in terms of performances, and he came back. I don't know how he performs now, whether it's as Yusef Islam or Cat Stevens. But, no, you're right. Um, I got one other thing to to tell you. Uh, The the FDA, um, they're supposed to approve um, a drug that cures lesbianism. I don't know if you heard that. A drug that cures lesbianism. How do how do you yeah. cure something that's called, not a disease? It's called uh, try a man again. Oh God! <laughs> I think uh, some of them may have in their life and decided it's not worth it. It's just not worth the grief. Uh, let's go, if we can, to Glenn in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. Hi, Curtis. Hey, I was a little surprised when I got a uh, hand-printed uh, envelope uh, with a return address of WABC Radio with uh, 803rd Avenue. And inside there was a thank you for listening and a, uh, a magnet uh, with uh, the other side, uh, with the uh, other side of Midnight, uh, Frank Morata. So he's doing some uh, real marketing for himself. Um, he might be even thinking about maybe he should be uh, running for mayor. Uh, so, truly, the so, prankster. Uh, let me ask you a question, Glenn. So you mean because yeah. he has a refrigerator magnet with his face on it? The- no, his face isn't on it. No. <laughs> what? It's not on it? No. No, no. It just says Frank Morata, the. Uh, the other side of midnight, uh, Monday through Friday, and there's hours. Well, I'm going to advise everyone, since his face is not on it, cross it off and just write the better side of the other side of midnight, Curtis <laughs> Lewa. Uh-huh. The hose itself extends great. It, there's no leaks in it. Wow. So he's actually doing hand-written uh, envelopes. Well, in New York. Yeah. That's what they're doing in the well, open. Well, you know, he he's Everybody like the, he's the last, I guess, can I say it, the last of the Mohicans. He actually sends letters out at the local post office. So maybe this fits him like a glove. Yeah, to be no able to send. No sleep for the Frankster. That's right. No, no, no sleep for the Frankster. Uh, but that's good. He needs all the help he can get. I'm telling you, Glenn. It had a regular stamp on it, too. It wasn't a uh, yeah, uh, postage meter from... Uh, from the uh, radio station, uh, he must be licking the stamps and putting them on. Well, there's a party in my mouth, and everyone is invited. Uh, he <laughs> he likes it because the uh, the glue there is uh, the smell and the scent of Velveeta cheese. So this guy is obsessed with having fromage cheese. But it's good to see that he's actually catering to our listeners. Writing handwritten envelopes with a handwritten letter with a stamp. I wonder if he's paying for it himself. That would be good if he is. In order to uh, increase his listenership. That's aggressive. That's good marketing. Uh, Glenn is absolutely right. He's hustling. Maybe he thinks that he'll be the next mayor of the city of New York. uh, Over my dead body. Over my dead body. He couldn't find his way out of Staten Island. How could he be the next mayor of the city of New York? Because that's going to be me. 
Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. A company always on the run. A destiny. Oh, it's the rising sun. I was born a shotgun in my hands. Behind the gun, I'll make my final stand. Yeah, and that's why they call me. And it's bad company if you're going to hang your hat or beret with Hamas or Islamic Jihad or Fatah or ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Stone-cold terrorists who want to destroy Western civilization as we know it. It's not just Israel. It's not just Jews. It is their war on what Western civilization stands for. And if for any reason they were ever able to go from this, what they call the river to the sea, they say the river to the sea. And I say to myself, having been in Israel three times, go from the river to the sea, that's the River Jordan, where Christians uh, uh, believe that St. John the Baptist uh, 
baptized Jesus Christ, although I got to tell you, every time I've been there and seen it, a little trickle of water, garbage along it. God, it's going to be a war in that area. It's going to be over water. It's going to be over olive oil because 75% of it is fake. It's probably not going to be about what we typically think of. But anyway, those supporting the Palestinians, they chant from the river to the sea. And having been there and having basically traveled almost every square inch, it's only the size of the state of New Jersey with a sizable Palestinian population, both Arab and Christian. And you have Druze and you have Bedouins uh, in the West Bank, Gaza, and then in some other areas. And then obviously the majority population are Israelis. Mostly secular, but growing numbers of religious. And that's where the real problems are, the battles between the Israelis. Those who are secular and those who are religious on a regular basis. But you have to spend time there. You really do. And you have to listen to the people. But anyway, I digress. Because I'm going to give you a little bit of an understanding of how intense the hatreds are in the Holy Land. And it's not just between Jews or Muslims. It's amongst the Christians. And that's why I say over and over again, as Jews, if you do not ally yourself in these marches, these demonstrations, especially with evangelicals who love the state of Israel, shame on you. Shame on you. Because they can really put boots on the ground. So... uh, this is one of the ten most preferred songs that Bernard McGurk, our great partner, our great broadcaster, had listened to on a regular basis before he passed away. Far too young. Far too young. Without a doubt, when you combine the efforts of him as a producer for the Imus in the Morning Show and then as a talk show host in its own right, uh, as a multitasker, the best that ever existed in this business, the greatest of all time. But we also have someone else who is a regular contributor here to WABC. Mostly it has to do with health-related issues, issues related to uh, medicine, uh, to disease, to living a longer life, and that's uh, Dr. Mikolos. But he is also our historian here at WABC, without a doubt, having listened to him uh, many times when he comments on history. He knows more about history than everyone else here combined. And uh, I only had one good subject, actually two good subjects in school, history and geography. But he is the Encyclopedia Britannica when it comes to this information. For instance, he uh, did a riff the other day. I believe it was on, yes, it was. It was on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion uh, hosted by John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. You can listen to Monday through Fridays. Occasionally, I'm a contributor also. But he was talking about the history of the holy city that so many have fought over uh, the many centuries. And they continue to fight over the most important thing in all of Israel, real estate. Related to because everyone's talking about when you dig into the soil of Jerusalem, it's very interesting. And you go down deep into the soil. What the uh, the archaeologists, what they find is Hebrew and Greek. 
because uh, Alexander the Great was there in 332 B.C., and people don't realize, everybody thinks that, for example, that Palestinians were there forever. It was not till 635 A.D. where the Caliph Umar uh, conquered Jerusalem, and he took it from the Greeks, and the patriarch at the time was a guy named Sophronios, and he chose not to have everyone slaughtered. They were surrounded and outnumbered 10 to 1, so they said, okay, come in and take it peacefully, and they became subjects at the time. But if you go into the soil before 635 A.D., there was no such thing as uh, there was the original people there were uh, Jewish, and then there were Greeks, and there were Persians. So it's an interesting place that's been cycled through many, many different cultures and people. It's a fascinating place. And I actually wrote a paper once that make Jerusalem an international city like the Vatican, like the U.N., and put some Buddhist uh, peacekeepers around there so that everybody can just stop fighting because this is crazy, all this uh, violence and Thank death, you. and we pray for peace. Thank you, Dr. Peter Michalos, our inside uh, historian, and uh, thank you for uh, letting everybody know. It's, I never knew. Yeah, fascinating, really powerful. Well, thank you. And there's no doubt he has oftentimes had words, pearls of wisdom dripping from his lips when he talks from a historical uh, basis. And he's absolutely right. Um. There have been wars after wars after wars. And what do they want? They want the Holy Land, and especially Jerusalem. Uh, I do believe he's right. It should be an international city. I don't know necessarily if it should be secured by Buddhist monks. (laughs) But it's a good idea. And I'll tell you what. If you've been to Jerusalem, all you have to do is go into the Christian quarter in the old city, behind the walls. And you will see the Christians battling one another. Forget the Jews and the Muslims who are in the other parts. They're like four four quarters of the walled city of Jerusalem. And I stand to be corrected, but I, I remember I tried to get into the mosque, the Al-Aqsa mosque, and the guys uh, in charge said, hey, you can't come in here. I said, what do you mean I can't come in? I've been in mosques all over the world. You can't come in here. All right. And then on top of that, they have the dome. The Jews say that's uh, their most important shrine. The Al-Aqsa Mosque, they say that's where Muhammad uh, said his final prayers and descended into, uh, ascended into heaven. Okay, whatever. Whatever everybody believes, okay? It's all about the freaking real estate. The Wailing Wall, it's right there. It's all there, but that's, that's the area that we constantly see in the news, When the Palestinians are throwing stones at the Israeli police because they don't think anybody should have access to the Al-Aqsa Mosque and that the Jews shouldn't be at the dome on top and all that stuff. You got to go into the Christian quarter. That's where the real battle is fought. You go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Now, according to to all the different Christians who have groups there. It's like eight of them all in this small church. This is the location where Jesus was crucified on Friday, excuse me, Black Friday. Black Friday, right? What am I talking about? Good Friday. And uh, where he was buried uh, late on Good Friday and then resurrected on Sunday. 
all within that church area. Now, I find it a little difficult to believe, but they claim historians that, yes, he was taken from the cross and he was buried right on the site. Okay. So you walk into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is the old city of Jerusalem. And you see the four stations of the cross. And I'm looking and I'm saying, okay, I'm familiar with that. On the rooftop, they have monks from Ethiopia. Ethiopian Orthodox, that's the Eastern Orthodox faith. They're not Coptic. Then you have, in different partitions of this church, you have the Syrian Orthodox, you have the Coptic, you have the Catholic, you have the Greek Orthodox, you have the Armenian. And they're always fighting with one another, and they're taking their tours through there, you know, and they're, they're catering to their constituents. And it's so bad that a Muslim family from East Jerusalem, that's where the Muslims and the Christian Palestinians are, they have to open up the Church of the Holy Sepulchre every day, and they have to lock it up. Because no one Christian group can be trusted to do that without having a fight with one another. Now, when I was there, they weren't fighting with one another, but on other occasions I've been told that some of them will start fighting with one another. Again, what is it over? The real estate. Now, the group with the largest tracts of land in the old city, Jerusalem, the Greek Orthodox, it's almost every other building Greek Orthodox. They have a patriarch of Jerusalem. They're not all that friendly to the Jews in Israel, nor is the Roman Catholic Church because they don't have a lot of real estate there. I mean, they got real estate all over the world. Right? You got first the Church of England, right? Uh, the Brits. Then you got the House of Fraud, the Saudis. You got the Roman Catholic Church. By the way, not a Jew in any of those groups. Oh, the Jews own the world, right? Well, those are the three groups that own the most real estate, right? Church of England. Uh, you have the Saudis, the House of Fraud, and you have the Roman Catholic Church. Not a Jew in any of those groups. But, you know, hey, Jews own all the real estate. Yeah, Jay-Z, you keep thinking that. Knock yourself out. So you get in there and you realize, wow, part of this battle here is about the real estate. So when uh, Dr. Mikolo says it should be an international city, he's not the only one saying that. Because in it you have the four, the four sectors. You have the Jewish sector, you have the Muslim sector. And Christian sector. Oh, let me amend that. Let me amend that. When I was there, and again, I've been there three times, you have the Jewish sector, you have the Muslim and to a degree Christian Palestinian sector, you have the Armenian sector, and you have the Greek Orthodox sector. Although the Armenian sector is off to the side. Maybe my geography is off a little bit. If I want to sell a building there, and let's say I'm in the Muslim sector and I want to sell it to a Jew because he's offering the most uh, the most money, the most shekels, all of a sudden I'm ostracized. No, no, you can't do that. This is crazy. This is all about real estate. Real estate is king. It's always been king. The biggest investments in the world are not in gold and silver, not in oil, not in any other real estate, uh, not in any other resource. It's always the real estate. What do they battle over? The freaking real estate. 
You have to have been there, and if you're going to go at some point, please go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's right in there, the, the, the Christian quarter in the old city of Jerusalem. It's behind the walls. It's where Jesus was crucified. They call it Calvary and buried and resurrected from. And I know you say, that's impossible. It's what I said, right? I looked at the little, it's a little church. I said, that's impossible. You are a man of no faith. We told you Jesus was crucified here on Good Friday. Buried, let's say, on Good Saturday for purposes of explanation. And then resurrected on Easter Sunday. Now, by the way, the Catholics focus on the crucifixion. Oh, man, they're like Mel Gibson, man. It's like the torture, the blood. Jesus is on the cross. He's got thorns in his head. You go to a Protestant church, you don't see any of that. You don't even barely see a cross. They talk about the resurrection. The Catholics, the crucifixion, 92 crosses in around their neck. No wonder why they had a reformation in which they killed millions of one another because of their interpretation of Jesus Christ. Millions. And who did they practice on before they started to battle one another? The Jews. They had pogroms. Say, we got to practice first on the Jews. Hey, let's just call a pogrom. And then on their crusades to Jerusalem, as Dr. Mikolos was talking about, the various uh, centuries and who was in charge, who wasn't in charge. Everybody wants to be in Jerusalem. It is the most prized real estate in the world. Everybody wants, it's small. If you dig down history on every square inch of what you dig, and right there is the West Bank, right there. Boy. You really feel it when you're there. Hey, can I go into the mosque? No. Said I've been in mosques other places. Not this one. Excuse me. Nope. You can't go into the mosque. Why not? If I can go into a mosque almost anywhere in the world, why can't I walk into your mosque? Mosque is very simple. It's not like, it's not ostentatious like a Catholic church uh, or a Jewish synagogue. No, 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 no. It's pretty plain. It's sort of like when I went to Moscow, and they said, oh, you got to go to the Onion Dome there, right in the Red Square, the Onion Dome, got to go there, the Russian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. I go there, I walk inside. They got tapestries, they got the uh, the dome up top, and they had nothing inside. I said, and for this, I slept all the way over here. The place is empty. That's what a mosque is like, simple. You know, they got a little Kaufman carpet. Wait a second, you can't have Kaufman. Uh, that was actually produced up in, uh, up there. let's see, they had uh, Gloversville, New York up there. That's where they used to make all the gloves. Don't make any gloves, not even a baseball glove up there. Amsterdam, that's where they used to make all the carpet up there. You know, that's where Kirk Douglas was from. But he had some kind of a Russian name. It sounded like a Bolshevik. Can you imagine you go into a mosque and and you're bowing five times a day and it's on Kaufman carpet? I got to assume Kaufman was a Jew, right? They say that carpet, uh, that's Jewish carpet. Ah, Allah, 
I'm telling you, you must go to the Christian quarter, the old city in Jerusalem. You will know right then and there what this is all about. It's all about the real estate. All about the real estate. And every one of these groups think they're better than the other group. The Armenians I spoke to, oh, we're better than the Greek Orthodox. The Greek Orthodox, because they own most of the real estate, we're better. The Catholics are saying, we got to be nice to the Palestinians because we don't have enough of the real estate here. So why should we favor the Jews when it's really, we got to be nice to the Palestinians? We never favored the Jews before. So why should we start now? And the Coptics and the Syrian Orthodox and the Ethiopian Orthodox, you go to the rooftop there. They're even on the rooftop, the Ethiopian Orthodox. I thought they were Coptics. And the guy got all insulted. He spoke English. He goes, we're not Coptics. I said, wait, are you from Ethiopia? Yes. You know, I've I've known priests who are Coptic. Go to Alexandria, Egypt, if you want Coptics. We're Ethiopian Orthodox. Oh, excuse me. I thought I was going to start a reformation there. 1-800-848-9222. You see, you learned a little bit. 1-800-848-9222. Great tag team action there. Dr. Mikolos, ophthalmologist. By the way, um, I got to relate this story. I was with Nancy, my wife. We were leaving an event at the Union League Club, I think it was. Uh, the host was uh, the mayor of Englewood Cliffs, Mario Cranjack, who also has been the lawyer for the Guardian Angels, going back over 25 years. And then on on our way home to the Upper West Side, we were in a cab. And she said, stop, stop the cab, stop the cab. I can't see, I can't see. I said, it's probably temporary. Let's just walk. We'll walk a few blocks. I'm sure your sight will return. She was blind as a bat. I wonder where that term came up, blind as a bat. You know, when that bat bit me in that tree in the, in the rear of the Canarsie Cemetery, which at one time was the only secular cemetery owned by the city of New York, uh, throughout the city of New York in daylight when I was hanging upside down in a tree and the bats were hanging upside down in a tree and took, took exception to the fact that I was trying to imitate them and bit me in my stomach. They weren't blind. I had to go to Brookdale Hospital. You don't want to go to Brookdale. You might as well have triage done on you in the streets. And they gave me 12 horse needles. They said, oh, you could, you'll die of rabies. You'll be foaming at the mouth. And I said, Madonna my, that's a needle? I said, yeah, it's a horse needle. Zip, zip, 12 times. But anyway, I digress. I still don't know where that term came up, blind as a bat. So my wife is holding on to my arm. We're walking a few blocks along Park Avenue. No, not Park Avenue in the Bronx or Park Avenue in Brooklyn. Park Avenue in Manhattan, and she still couldn't see. So I said, okay, okay, look, look, relax, relax. You're getting nervous now. She goes, I can't see, I can't see. I called Dr. Mikolos, knowing he's an ophthalmologist. You know, Rand Paul, uh, brother of RuPaul, you know, the senator from Kentucky, whose father is Ron Paul. You know, it's the Paul family. You have Ron Paul, who ran for president, remember, independent. 
you have uh, RuPaul, that's uh, his sister, Rand Paul's sister, and then, a, well, is it his sister? Yes, in today's definition, a she and a whatever. RuPaul. What's your drink of choice? A Negroni. I was going to say, I think, RuPaul's Drag Race, you know. And then Rand Paul, who prefers uh, reefer smoking weed rather than uh, Mitch McConnell, the senior senator of Kentucky, who's uh, always drunk on Kentucky bourbon. I don't know why I went all that way, but anyway. The point is, there are four ophthalmologists that I've known in my lifetime. It's Dr. Mikolos. There's Rand Paul, U.S. Senator. There is the butcher of Baghdad. Yes, the son of Halafaz Assad, who is still in charge, unfortunately. Uh, Assad. And then uh, there is Dr. Melgin. Remember the friend of Gold Bar, uh, Bobby Menendez, U.S. Senator, who now has been indicted for being an agent for uh, Egypt. <laughs> and there's more about that crook. So those are the only four ophthalmologists I've ever known. Dr. Mikolos, stand-up guy. Rand Paul loves to smoke weed and argue uh, with, uh, as you know, product of Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, the man who almost single-handedly destroyed the city of New York, graduate of, oh, he was always so proud, Regis High School. You remember? He said, oh, yeah, I, I was an all-star at Regis High School. I, Say, schmuck, your record was 0-18. and 18. Oh, you were the starting guard. Yeah, why don't you play, uh, let's see, what can we play? Uh, in what high school could he play? Then? Well, it'll come to me momentarily. Uh, Rand Paul, obviously, had Bashir Assad, who was friends with Erdogan in Turkey, right? They used to go on summer vacation in the southern area on the Mediterranean of Turkey, their families, and now they're mortal enemies. He used to host uh, Kerry, Senator Kerry there, best friends with Bashir Assad. And remember Barbara Walters told us, oh, Bashir Assad, he's got a Western wife. We really can do business with him. And the New York Post, excuse me, New York Times did a glowing Times Magazine piece on him, how he was so friendly to the West. All bull feathers. Well, that's right, Dr. Fauci, that's who I was talking about. And, of course, the infamous Dr. Melgin who ripped off Medicaid more than any other doctor in the history of that program, giving uh, placebo injections to people who had macular degeneration and charging outrageous rates to us, the taxpayers. And it was Bobby Menendez, the crooked U.S. senator, who actually uh, provided visas for his gumadas on the side to be able to come in and work here in the United States bombshells from Brazil, and in return, he got to go to the DR, flown on Dr. Melgin's jet, where he had, uh, uh, let's just say, multiple sexual adventures with Dominican prostitutes, uh, and they did a video on YouTube and said, that cheap SOB, he didn't even leave a peso tip, never mind dollar tip. Boy, it covered a lot of real estate there. Oh, boy. But Dr. Mikolos is spot on with this. Jerusalem, it's always been about Jerusalem. Always. Throughout history, the Crusades 
whether they were Muslims, whether they were Christians, whether they were heathens, no matter what the hell they were, Jews, it's always been about Jerusalem. Bottom line, if you ever sit down and have a conversation with the leaders of the various religions, their eyes are always on the prize of Jerusalem. The one thing about Dr. Melchin is I wouldn't have Buddhist monks protecting the international city because they're probably like those fake monks who come up to you in the street, you know, and they give you a coin and they they want a donation. And I say, yeah, where was your temple? The number seven train of flushing. Oh, you're one of those fake Buddhist monks, right? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You're going to learn a lot if you listen to Curtis. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I feel so close to you right now. It's a force field. I wear my heart up on my sleeve like a big deal. Your love bars down on me, surround me like a waterfall. And there's no stopping us right now. I feel so close to you right now. To the break of dawn, nobody, nobody has this kind of eclectic music, but yours truly, Curtis Lee. Eat your heart out, Cousin Boosie, Tony Orlando without dawn, and the Prince of Staten Island, Vinny Madunia. Great Calvin Harris, electronic dance music, no stopping us. So remember my wife, there was no stopping her today for the Ring of Fire solar eclipse. It took place all during the day because she was busy in Central Park as her nickname is Lone Wolf One, baying to the solar eclipse. And people were looking at me like, that's Nancy? So, well, only happens when there's a solar eclipse. The blood moon. The full eclipse coming up in April. Oh, my God. Even our cats, they hide when they hear that. It's like, whoa. She's wigging out. She's wigging out. To the break of dawn, nobody going to sleep. Oh, no. 
And I want to give a shout out to the protesters who are out there in the driving rain, the rebels at Midland Beach, because they know with the closing of St. John's Villa Academy, it's going to happen because the fire marshals have said it's a fire trap, no sprinklers. It's a danger to the illegal aliens in there. They know they're going to try to transfer them to Midland Beach where they kicked out all the senior citizens. Many of them are the greatest generation, the World War II generation. One, a 97-year-old in a wheelchair, Korean War veteran, and told them to pack his bags, get the hell out, find new accommodations because they had to move illegal aliens in. And the folks were out there in the driving rain today. They moved in the National Guard. You know what that means. They're going to try to bring the illegal aliens in because there are seven locations that are being shut down because they fail to meet the safety standards of the FDNY. And I know Eric Adams is basically telling his fire commissioner, Kavanaugh, who's just a lapdog for him, void the certification. Do not, do not heed the dictates of the fire marshals. Keep these migrant centers open. And I know they're going to try to transfer them over to Midland Beach. It is going to be the mother of all battles. Warning you now, city, you don't have enough cops. You don't have enough handcuffs. I have warned you that there are other measures of civil disobedience that I will revert to with the help of the rebels. Staten Island is the epicenter, is the Alamo, is the battleground. We have stopped the city dead in their tracks there. And if they continue to try to force illegal aliens in, we will tie Staten Island up in a knot. I have said publicly we will lock down. The Outer Bridge Crossing, Bayonne Bridge, Gothels Bridge, and Verrazano Bridge. And I have described the methods that we will use that are all acts of civil disobedience. But there will be a price to pay by Eric Adams, the state of New York through Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, and the federal government if they continue to force these illegal aliens on the island of Staten Island that deserves to be its own state now, the 51st state. They deserve to be able to secede. From New York State and New York City. Well, we'll get back to that momentarily, but I want to finish up. Dr. Mikolos, uh, when I contacted him and Nancy was in morbid fear, thinking she lost her eyesight. We were there right on Park Avenue. He said, I'm out in Long Island. I can't see you now, but I'm going to send you to the number one expert in the city. He has his practice at Columbian Presbyterian, and you're lucky because today he has office hours. He's only there once a week. Wow, once a week. We get there. I think the guy's name was Dr. Schluter, a German guy. He was wearing a nice jacket, you know, like a smoking jacket. None of the, He didn't have the schmata on of a doctor. He didn't even look like a doctor. So we walk into the office. And he's got all the equipment. And he sits Nancy down, and Nancy's worried that she's lost her eyesight. And he looks deep into her corneas. And immediately, he writes out prescriptions, and he said, serious. Yes, it's very serious. But I've dealt with this before. 
Don't worry about it. You need to rest, take the medication, and get rid of your damn contacts. Don't ever wear them again. You got to get yourself a pair of glasses and be four eyes. Stop being so vain and wearing things that nobody knows, contacts, that you have sight issues. Boy, she is, man, I look through her glasses. Oh, my God. You talk about the bottle, the bottoms of the old Coca-Cola bottles. Man. Oh, ho, ho, ho. She can barely see. But the point being is, after a few weeks, her sight returned. Uh, Dr. Mikolos was spot on with, I think his name was Dr. Schluter. And uh, she had the scare of her life. She thought she had lost her sight. In fact, when it didn't return after the second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, and she couldn't look at any light whatsoever, she had to be in complete darkness. She thought for sure that she was going to be like uh, my husband-in-law, David Patterson, the former governor, you know, sight challenge, like Steve Wynn, owner of all those uh, casinos who would much rather be in Macau than the United States. Remember when he said that? Yes, yeah, stay over there, Red China, Steve Wynn. He sight challenged, and there are a number of other people who are sight challenged. Who was that? Balagay, who's president of the Dominican Republic for years. Couldn't see it all. But the point being is she was worried. All praise to Dr. Mikolos, all praise to, uh, I think it was Dr. Schluter. Maybe Dr. Schluter was the chiropractor who gave me my first adjustment when I was just six months old in Chicago. I was birthed in uh, Brooklyn Hospital. Dr. Duckman delivered me, smacked me on my dupa, my tuchus. I've been talking ever since, nonstop. And immediately we went to Chicago. My father is originally from Chicago. He was no longer sailing the seven seas as a merchant seaman. He was there to help uh, his father in his uh, business, which was uh, in construction and carpentry. My dad was a master carpenter. He had been taught by his dad, Anton, who learned the craft in Krakow in uh, Poland before he came to America. And uh, I remember my mom told me you had a cold at the age of six, and it was like 40 degrees below zero with the winds of Lake Michigan blowing, and it would cut you in half when there was no global warming and climate change. Real Chicago winters. And uh, my mom said, what doctor can we take Curtis to? My father said, what do you mean doctor? Take him to the chiropractor. I think that's Dr. Schluter, too. I'm mixing up my Germans. And apparently my mother thought it was witchcraft. It was like back in 1954. People thought it was like going to a voodoo doctor, a chiropractor. He gave me an adjustment. The cold was gone. And he recognized, wait a second, he's not digesting the milk. He's uh, lactate intolerant. They didn't have that that term back then. But he said he's not digesting uh, the natural milk. You got to give him pet milk. No. Was it pet milk? Was one of those milks in the can. No, not the carnation uh, milk, condensed milk. The pet condensed milk. And voila, I had no problems. And my mother became a believer in chiropractic care. I am a believer to this day. My father swore uh, uh, about chiropractic care. 
until the day he died and my mother passed away also, but I carry on that tradition. Oh, chiropractic care is the best. And look, if that isn't the remedy, you can always go for care from a medical doctor, but don't be afraid of chiropractic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broadway Billy, I know she got that crick in your neck. They'll snap your neck. I used to go to Dr. Neck in uh, New Howard Beach. He'd just snap your neck. You'd go in the back room. You'd rest a half hour. You'd get up and like, wow. But the way he snapped your neck, you thought, oh, for sure. There goes the vertebrae. Oh, I'm like number eight for the New York Giants, right? The quarterback Jones with the neck problems who won't be playing against Buffalo. You thought for sure, oh, my God. He's dislodged. Probably a vertebrae in my back. No, snap it hard. I mean, really hard. Whip it. Bang. You'd sit in a chair for a half hour. You get up, and it was like you were brand new. Oh, I I completely believe in chiropractic care. Believe it. Trust it. It's a natural way of healing the body. It doesn't always work, but then again, medical care. You know, through the American Medical Association, a lot of times it doesn't work. Remember how they said in the 1960s that vitamin C, that book, who was it, Dr. Linus? Linus, Linus, right, right. Oh, that that was like propaganda. They should burn the books. Don't take vitamin C. My dad was taking vitamin C as a semen. He said, what the hell are they talking about? This way you don't get scurvy. You don't get all the things that semen would get by being at sea for years. Wow, boy, did I digress. But anyway, Nancy's sight is back. She doesn't wear contacts. She's got the traditional glasses. And when I look through those glasses, I say, my God, how does anybody see through these glasses? But she does. Works for her. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's a false field. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Nobody should be talking in their sleep. Because you got to be up with me to the break of dawn. By the way, the only person who talks in his sleep is Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. Monday through Friday from 1 to 5. I mean, sometimes it sounds like he's talking in his sleep. Because he puts me to sleep.
You better not. Oh, an enigma. Could you imagine uh, you're listening to your partner who's talking in their sleep and they're talking about an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend? <laughs> Never mind a gumada. Wow. That could be dangerous, right? For some of you out there, I know, I know you. All of a sudden, you seal your lips hermetically sealed when you go to sleep with crazy glue. <laughs> You'll wake up. You're all battered and bruised. Get that crazy glue. Seal my lips. Oh, my God. What did I say? Oh, the worst thing. The worst thing is... If you're in a relationship, you're married, you have a girlfriend, or let's say it's a gumada, a boyfriend, whatever it is, husband, and you call them by the wrong name, oh, my God. Especially if it's um, a former husband or a former boyfriend, former girlfriend or a former wife, my God, you will not be able to say anything for about an hour. Yep. If you're a man, it may, all of a sudden, you may get a bris. <laughs> yeah, best to seal your lips with crazy glue when you go to sleep. But nobody's going to sleep now, not until the break of dawn. Then you can go to sleep. Because there'll be Rabbi Joe Potashnik with uh, his lips on Eric Adams' tuchus, hermetically sealed, and A.R. Bernard on the other side of his tuchus. And you know what? I guarantee you, since they were both there at that uh, forum for religious figures to show support for Israel at Gracie Mansion, where they brought the tent out, the same tent that could be housing illegal aliens like the mayor said, you know, I should be doing my fair share. I should be setting the example. Yes, you should be. Uh, too bad they don't take calls, because I think I would make a fake call into them and say, hey, were there any imams there? Were there any Shias or Sunnis pledging support to the state of Israel? Of course there weren't. And Rabbi Joe is looking at me like, yeah, there was like one or two. Who? What were their names? Rabbi Joe. Now, Curtis, you're always starting trouble. No, I'm a truth seeker, right? None of you guys want to tell the truth. There's no imams getting up on that stage. Oh, uh, well, in Israel, solidarity, right? No. No. Exactly. Let's see. Uh, Shia, Shia Imam from um, actually right there when you're on the Grand Central. No, excuse me. Van Wick. On one side, you have Jamaica Hospital. On the other side, you have the old Trump Rehab Center that was dedicated to rehab. My mother spent some time. There. It was great uh, by Fred Trump and his wife, the parents of Donald Trump. Now that rehab center is uh, behind. That's empty. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> the city will probably try to put illegal aliens in there. <laughs> oh, no. 
not there. Yeah, they're going to try. And across is a mosque and a school that was paid for by the Ayatollah Khomeini. It's a Shia mosque, not a Sunni mosque, a Shia mosque. The monies came, I'm pretty sure, from the Iranians, uh, from the Ayatollahs in Tehran. You think any of them showed up uh, to show solidarity with Israel? Hell no. Hell no. You think any of the many Sunni Muslims uh, from their mosques and their madrasas showed up to show solidarity with Israel? Hell no. So, Rabbi Joe, don't lie to me. Come on. You know, I've been around for a long time. Even if they felt that way, let's say Imam Suraj Wahaj felt that way, who runs the mosque on Bedford Avenue in Fulton in Bed-Stuy, do or die, who, by the way, sued me for $6 million and lost. Let's just say he had an epiphany and he woke up and he said, as a uh, co-conspirator, in the uh, attempt to take down the World Trade Center the first time in 1993 and advise it to Sheikh Omar the blind-eyed, Santa Claus hat-wearing imam of hate. Uh, I suddenly had an epiphany, and I want to support the state of Israel, right? What do you think his congregation would do to him on Juma, the day of prayer, on a Friday? There ain't no way they'll give him a poke and a chop as if he were in Saudi Arabia, the guardians of Mecca and Medina. So let's be real here. You know, Rabbi Joe, come on, come clean, Rabbi Joe. There were no imams there. Come on. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah, we're all in solidarity, all the religious figures. I didn't see anybody from the archdiocese that night. I wasn't in the tent. But I saw the video. I was looking for somebody from the Archdiocese representing the Archdiocese, showing support for Israel. Are you kidding? They want land in Jerusalem. The over on the point spread is a figure. Hey, we've never been with the Jews to begin with, so why are we going to start being with them now? The Eastern Orthodox, no damn way are they going to be standing with the Jews. They own most of the real estate in the holy city, Jerusalem. So, like in times past, Jews, you're on your own, except there are the evangelicals, the guardians of the Holy Land, and the Intifada, number two, the only ones who came there. There were no Jews coming to Israel. The land was barren. When Yasser Arafat declared the Intifada to, the land was barren of tourists. The only ones coming, because I was there. I was broadcasting live from the, the old WABC for two weeks. From the Sabaros that they blew up, the terrorists, the suicide bombers in downtown Jerusalem, the bus that they blew up. I did a broadcast from one of the buses there. I traveled from a lot in the south all the way to the north, the Golan Heights. Couldn't go to the Gaza this time because now it was in the, uh, it was barricaded up at that point by Hamas. Well, actually, barricaded up by the Israelis on one side uh, towards the Sinai and the Egyptians on the other side. No, the Egyptians on the other side towards the Sinai. The Jews uh, from Israel on the side going into southern Israel. But I was there. And ladies and gentlemen, the only ones supporting the state of Israel back then in the Second Intifada were the evangelical Christians. They believe in the state of Israel. 
They believe when rapture comes, that's where Jesus will come from heaven to save those who have accepted him as their Lord and Savior. Like, you know, Greg Kelly ain't going to say, save me, right? And if you're a Jew and you haven't decided to convert at that moment, you know what happens to your Broadway Billy? Well, guess what? You don't go to heaven. Look, invite the evangelicals to walk side by side with you. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Vision, dreams of passion. And all the while I think of you. A very strange reaction. The more I see, the more I do. Baby. I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. <laughs> Someone is smoking. <laughs> Ticket to ride. White line highway. Tell all your friends they can go my way. Pay your toll. Sell your soul. Pound for pound costs more than gold. The longer you stay, the more you pay. My white line go a long way. Either up the nose or through your fame. With nothing to gain except killing your brain. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Is this a PSA against doing cocaine? Every word leading up to that was, man, you got to stick your nose in that blow. Higher, baby. Get higher, baby. Get higher, baby. And don't ever come down. 
temperature is rising. No, I don't want you to go. A street kid gets arrested. Gonna do some time. He got out three years from now just to commit more crime. A businessman is caught with 24 kilos. He's out on bail and out of jail, and that's the way it goes. Police rejected, governors corrected, gangsters, thugs, and smugglers are thoroughly respected. The money gets divided, the women get excited. Now I'm broke and it's no joke, it's hard as hell to fight, don't buy it. Freeze! <laughs> Rock! Freeze! Rock! That is uh, White Lines by Grandmaster Flash, Without the Furious Five, and Melly Mel. Great song about cocaine. And right on time because there has just been a study published that equates the addictive powers of cocaine, and boy is it addictive, and heroin, to eating ice cream and potato chips. In fact, our weekend... Uh, Producer uh, and the uh, uh, assistant uh, program director, Kevin George, uh, from Mnaranac, actually said that when he was in college, he uh, picked out, he had a bowl of ice cream and he had it with potato chips. And he said it was better than anything he had ever had before. Oh, is he pregnant? Maybe a transgender? Maybe he needed tampons in the men's room there at Clemson University. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. A story about someone you love. Or someone you've never met. Someone real or made up. Or somewhere in between. But first... I want to tell you a story about us. Stories are how we discover our values, ourselves, and the world beyond. Uh, drag queen reading hour. I could do without that. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to hear your stories. <laughs> but the funniest thing is, with all the demonstrations on college campuses, pro-Israel, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinians. It took Clemson University to have the only demonstration in which gays, lesbians, and transgenders were protesting the fact that the university, at the urging of the Republican club on uh, Clemson, took out the dispensary machine out of the men's room that was dispensing tampons and not condoms, plastic combs, or Kleenex tissues. And they're ready to have a riot there. They want, they want, to, they want the tampons back in the men's room. That, that Hell is, you'll know. That is crazy. Hell no. <laughs> I think young men with high levels of testosterone who drink too much and use too many uh, drugs, and all of a sudden they get frisky with the young coeds, are probably in need of condoms, right? What is it they say? Safe sex, right? Uh, it prevents unwanted pregnancies. What the hell are men in a men's room going to do with tampons? You're going to 
Although I must tell you, I must tell you, and I got to be perfectly honest about this. This guy, I forget what his name was. His name was a weird name. He was with um, was Williamsburg. And I had gone to the Transfiguration Church. Father Stephen had asked me to come in and lecture Wayward Youth, 1980. I had just formed the Guardian Angels up in the Bronx, came down J-Train, Marcy Avenue, went over to Transfiguration Church, and I see that these were the Dukes and the Unknown Bikers, vicious gag members, vicious. And they taken the pool sticks off the pool tables, and while Father Stephen is watching, they're attacking me. And they hit me a few times, and they busted open my nose. And believe it or not, as we fought our way like the Warriors from that cult classic movie, if you haven't seen it, you got to see 1979, The Warriors, Paramount film. It gives you an idea what the subways were like when I started the Guardian Angels. My nose is bleeding all over the place. We fight our way to Marcy Avenue. It's the L above ground, the last stop uh, in Brooklyn before you get to Manhattan and before we could escape to safety. And a woman gave me a tampon that I shoved up my nose. And it stopped the bleeding. I mean, it was bleeding bad. And I was not going to go to nearby Woodkill Hospital, better known as Woodhall. I have given a list of hospitals. I've told Guardian Angels, if I ever get shot or stabbed or hit by a car, do not take me to these hospitals. Do triage here right on me in the street. Coney Island Hospital, never. Kings County, never. Jacoby Hospital, never. Woodkill Hospital, a.k.a. Woodhull. When the rains came last week, when Eric Adams was raising the roof and was at Con Sofrito up in the Bronx to the break of dawn and ended up leaving with a little shorty. Yeah, didn't arrive for his press conference until about 12 noon. Uh, I, I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no doubt you did. And you couldn't be found for hours. I, I, I will tell you, man, it's like, whoa. Thank God I had that tampon up my nose. Now, I wouldn't recommend that if you're a cut man in the corner of a fight, whether it's uh, UFC, uh, mixed martial arts, or good old-fashioned boxing, professional boxing, that if they bust your schnoz open, and this is really for Italians and Jews because they have the big schnozzes. You know, I always hit them right in the nose, and they cry like Mama Luke's. Irish guys, doesn't matter. You get him 52 times. Both, both, uh, they, they break their nose, and that's a badge of courage. Blood all over them. Hey, you knocked me down, Curtis. Love to give a tampon to an Italian guy or a Jewish guy. Say, did I, did I fracture your schnoz? Did I break your nose? Here, here's a tampon. It'll stop the bleed. It does. Miraculously, it does. And it avoided me having to go to Woodkill, a.k.a. Woodhull Hospital. When the storm came, you know Woodhull was closed for a week. Does that tell you something about that hospital? Uh, the Brooklyn Zoo, Park uh, 
right near Park Slope, you know, the Brooklyn Zoo right there in Prospect Park. They closed that for a week because of the flood. Trust me, I should publish the guide of the places that you don't let the ambulance guy take you to or the ambulance woman or EMTs. Jacoby in the Bronx, no. Bronx, Lebanon on Grand Concourse, no. A thousand times no. Lincoln Hospital, oh, kill me here. In fact, I would say about a third of the hospitals I've been. Brookdale, no, absolutely not. Under, I would rather bleed out here. Give me a transfusion in the street right here on Linden Boulevard. Do not take me into that ER. I can't tell you how many hospitals I've been in. I say, my God, you know, I would have been better with a voodoo doctor. Really? I think that's one of the things I got to do. Publish a guide that if all of a sudden you're shot, you're stabbed, you're hit by a car, some guy cracks you in the head with a bat or busts your nose wide open and you don't have a dispensary in the men's room that's dispensing tampons. These are the hospitals you go to and these are the hospitals you stay away from because you'll end up in the mortuary. You will definitely end up in the mortuary. According to this study, if you keep eating ice cream and potato chips, whether together like Kevin Josh does or by themselves, you will be just as addicted to them as if you were shooting heroin or sniffing cocaine. That's incredible. According to 281 studies across 36 different countries, has uncovered that a staggering 14% of adults are hooked on what they call ultra-processed foods. They're just as addictive as nicotine, cocaine, or heroin. More than 1 in 10 people are hooked to the point where they, they can't go cold turkey. So the UPF, remember that's ultra-processed foods, sausages, ooh, sausage, more pork sausages, more. Or oh, you're at an Italian festival, you know, and your sausage and peppers, that's what it is. By the way, I got to go to that St. Gerard feast later on today in Newark. I've been holding this off. More pork sausages, mom. More pork sausages, please. Remember Harry Harrison in the morning, WABC, called himself the morning mayor, right? Ma Kwana Mai, you the morning mayor. You didn't even live in New York City. You lived in New Jersey. I think originally it was from Chicago. Anyway, the point being is those sausages are considered ultra-processed foods. And they are as addicted, addictive as heroin or cocaine. Ice cream. Biscuits. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what I, you know why I like going to Popeye's chicken? The best was in New Orleans, right off of Canal and Bergen. I, I remember I had, like, hit two guys. I forget what it was for. They were fighting. And I had to go in there, and I thought that my knuckle was broken, so I asked them for ice. They were very kind. They gave me a bucket of ice. And I always loved the rice and beans of Popeye's. I loved the rice and beans. And they said, oh, you're the guardian angel guy. You're going to help us here in New Orleans. I said, I'm going to try. I said, right now i got to help myself. I think I broke my knuckle. And he brought out the biscuits. 
I thought the rice and beans were the best thing about Popeye's chicken, which definitely if you eat the chicken there, you're going to the ICU. I mean, the Black Widow spider is eventually going to get you, whether it's KFC, whether it's Popeye's, and especially Kansas chicken, Kennedy chicken. Oh, you're dead. But I had those biscuits and Popeye's. I didn't feel no pain in my knuckle. I mean, whenever I got a Popeye sense, I get the the red beans and rice there. I think they put sugar in it. I really do. They put sugar in everything nowadays. And the biscuits. So according to this, the ultra-processed foods that are as addictive as heroin and cocaine, biscuits, soft drinks. Oh, I know that. I used to drink two 68-ounce bottles of Coca-Cola a day, one in the a.m., one in the p.m., and I would have it intravenously just put into my into my vein in my arm, hopelessly addicted to Coca-Cola, and sugary uh, uh, cereals, like sugar pops or tops. Remember sugar tops? Uh, Sugar-frosted flakes. They're great! Not grape nuts, right? I mean, who the hell ate grape nuts? I would really like to know if anybody out there has eaten grape nuts. First of all, grape nuts will crack your teeth. I couldn't taste any sugar in post. It was post-grape nuts. Now, alphabets, um, uh, that was post also, alphabet. Yeah, the complete alphabet. What, what did they call that again? I forget. See, I guess, see, this claims that if you have... Ultra-processed foods like this, not only is it highly addictive, but it's linked to cognitive decline. That must be what Joe Biden is going through. He must uh, be eating these foods. Cancer, psychological distress, and even early death. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The criteria includes uncontrollable and excessive consumption cravings, and continued intake despite potential negative health effects. Double stuff Oreo cookies. That'll do it to you. I don't just want, first of all, uh, the price of Oreo cookies, I think, is higher than a gallon of oil, gallon of gas. I really think just you get a package of Oreo cookies, the the old-fashioned Oreo cookies. And by the way, whoever gets the vanilla or, or Oreo cookies, I, I never see anybody buy the vanilla cookies because they hate white people. They hate crackers. They want the chocolate Oreo cookies, and they want it double stuffed. And I'm telling you, that's a killer. And actually, for black people, you don't want to be seen eating Oreo cookies because some of your own folks are going to say, oh, you're an Oreo, huh? double stuffed Oreo cookie. You won't be like them crackers. So this study says that it may not be a single ingredient that makes candy or crackers addictive, unlike nicotine in tobacco, but multiple, multiple items. Almost 90% of people, according to this study, can try alcohol and not develop a problematic relationship with alcohol. I agree with that. I've seen that. 10% forget about it. It's like Native Indians. One drink and they're on the floor. Oh, my God. 
if you've ever been to a reservation, Rosebud, I spent a lot of time. Ooh, sad. Many can try cigarettes or even cocaine and not be addicted, and that's true. And I know a lot of you out there say, oh, no, no, the moment you do your first line of cocaine, you're hooked. Wrong. Well, maybe that much. You know, like Sid Rosenberg. How many times did he go to rehab and have to dry out? Or Steven Tyler of Aerosmith? He must be addicted to every drug in the world. But the point is, it doesn't always mean you're addicted. I know a lot of people. What are you talking about, Curtis? There are people who um, are chippers on the weekend. You will not know it. Nine to five, they work five days a week, very productive. You'd never know that they do cocaine or that they shoot heroin on the weekend. Oh, you're, you're making that up, Curtis. And a lot of them sniff the heroin. They don't even shoot the heroin because then eventually that would be obvious because you would see some tracks on their arms. Or they smoke it. They smoke the heroin. And that uh, that was done in Vietnam by a lot of our soldiers there. They would smoke the heroin uh, and then get a high that way. I'm telling you, yeah, you know, there's this perception that the moment you use it, you're hooked. That's not. True. You would you would be surprised how many, quote, functional alcoholics exist. Functional, if you want to call them drug addicts, chippers on the weekend, and they don't use it during the week. How do you think with all the cocaine that comes in to our area? I mean, there are kilos worth of cocaine. If everybody used cocaine and became a drug addict, the streets would be littered. I mean, littered everywhere with drug addicts. You have no idea. You can find cocaine in every neighborhood. It's used by poor people. It's used by lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, and wealthy people. It's a question of how you use it. And a lot of people, they don't, they don't know how to control themselves, so they become addicted. And then it's a one-way trip to Palookaville, or you start hitting the, the pipe, Beaming yourself up to Scotty, smoking rocks of uh, crack cocaine or meth, and then boy, that's a boy, that is a quick trip uh, into the belly of the beast. Much faster trip than if you were just doing cocaine. But it's all again. I believe this study. I believe this study. So we're going to have to get Kevin Josh. We're going to have to make it a team effort, Big Tony and Broadway Bill Lee, to get Kevin Josh, our assistant program director and producer on the weekends, to give up his um, his addiction of eating ice cream and potato chips together. Imagine that. You have your Briar's ice cream, right? Good old fancy... Uh, Briar's ice cream, you know, it's uh, the old hard ice cream. And Lay's potato chips. You eat one and you can't put it down. Wasn't that the commercial for Lay's? Eat one Lay's, a brilliant commercial, by the way. Eat one Lay's potato chip and you won't be able to stop eating. And now you can actually go to a meeting. You have the AA meeting, Alcohols Anonymous. You have the NA meeting, which is Narcotics Anonymous. And now you'll have the IP meeting, which is uh, ice cream and potato chips 
anonymous meeting. Kevin Joyce will be there telling his story of how when he was in his college dorm, uh, his addiction wasn't drugs or booze. It was eating a bowl full of ice cream with potato chips in it. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gary calling from Pleasant Valley. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Yes. Hello, Curtis, and uh, good morning, everybody there out in Radio Land. We're listening to you and enjoying everything that you say. It's very funny. Very good show, uh, Curtis. Thank you. Thank you. Keep your humor up. It's very good. And uh, Rado says hello to my cat. He's 20 years old, going on strong. Wow. 20 years old. Yep. That is great. That is great. Yeah, and he's purring. Say that again? He's purring. Purring. Oh, that means he likes hearing my voice. Yes, he loves your voice, and we love Nancy's voice. I like Nancy's voice better than your voice. Well, most people do, except uh, if you're homosexual, you would like my voice better than you would like Nancy's. Oh, never thought about it that way. Well, then again, you know, it doesn't mean you have to, but I'm just telling you, (laughs) guys tend to like the sound of guys' voices if they happen to be homosexual and women. singing voices? Is that the same thing? Singing voices. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That is absolutely true. The oh. best song there ever was written, I came to a conclusion the other day, is Hey Jude. That's better than Over the Rainbow. Hey Jude. Uh, you mean by John Lennon? Yep. I think he would have been, what, he would have been 84? Wait, wait, that's right, it's Paul. You see, I hated Paul McCartney. I, I, Why? I just hate Paul McCartney. I, I, I deal with Lennon... You know, I can't. I can, yeah, you said that before. I remember you talking about that. Bubble I never gum. figured that out. Bubblegum, man. He's a bubblegum guy. That's all right. I like, I don't have to worry about it. Everybody don't worry about what Curtis says there. Well, I know what kind of music you like. Well, I, I, there's an eclectical form of music that I like, all different kinds. But, you know, the thing that turned me off to John Lennon was Yoko. Man, he always had her perform. And I mean, yeah, she was terrible. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, no. if you wanted terrorists to give up information, yes. you don't have it's to waterboard true. them. All you All have right, to let do. Let me ask you this. Who was the best piano player? The best piano player. Oh, Liberace. Art Tatum. Liberace, Art without Tatum. a doubt. What? 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 Art Tatum. No. The man. No, no, no. one's going to take his place no no let me tell you something i remember as a young boy liberace polish remember from milwaukee a real mama's boy mama i remember him and uh uh he's being interviewed on cbs channel two and uh, he's talking about how he has a girlfriend and my father was laughing was laughing at that i said dad why are you laughing at liberace he goes no son you're too young to understand this but he was talking about to Edward R. Murrow, in fact, as Edward R. Murrow was puffing on the cigarettes, which you could do years ago. Uh, he was telling Edward R. Murrow how he and his girlfriend might actually be planning to get married in Las Vegas, but they'd have to go home to his mother first in Milwaukee. You know, he wanted his mother to meet his girlfriend. And we knew that was all a lie later on, but somehow my dad knew then and wouldn't tell me. But Liberace, you could not play the piano better than Liberace. No, he was uh, very what about good. you? Uh, he was, he was very good. thought to getting married and eventually settling yes. down? Uh, Liberace. Well, actually, I have, Ed. I've given a lot of thought to marriage. 
but I don't believe in getting married just for the sake of getting married. I want to someday find the perfect mate and settle down to what I hope will be a marriage that will be blessed by faith and will be a lasting union. In fact, I was reading about lovely young Princess Margaret, and uh, she's looking for her dream man, too, and I hope she finds him someday. Uh, have you ever met the princess? Not as yet, but I have great hopes of meeting her when I go to England next season. I'm going to give a concert in London, and I'd like to meet her very much because I think we have a lot in common. We have the same taste and, and uh, in the theater and music, and, and uh, besides, she's pretty and she's single. So I'm watching that. Edward Armero, he would always interview a celebrity every week while smoking the cigarettes. And I'm listening to Liberace say it sounded good to me, right? Meantime, I yeah, no problem with that. Meantime, my father was like laughing. I had no idea, no idea. But my father understood. I wasn't old enough. I could you imagine if he would have told me at what, like five or six, that this guy liked guys? I would. What are you talking about? Reminds me of a uh, bad Santa uh, with um, Bobby Lee Thornton or whatever his name is. Uh, well, Tommy Lee, what's his name? Bad Santa. It's just the, uh, he was born the same year as me. Uh, Curtis, you were born uh, two years before me. Oh, 1954. That was a, a vintage year, the same year they closed Ellis Island. Why did they close Ellis Island? Yeah, why did why did they close Ellis Island? I think we lost Gary there. Now, uh, when I first saw the YMCA's Young Men Christian uh, Association, I had no idea that that was a place where gay guys would hook up. I had no idea. Do you think George Steinbrenner Sr., when he chose this song to be played, when the grounds crew was cleaning up the infield and getting it back in shape, had any idea that this was the call to all gay guys to assemble at the YMCA to uh, canoodle there? And how could anybody ever make the claim that former President Donald Trump was a homophobe when... He plays this at his rallies, right? And he actually does the little uh, jiggle-wiggle dance up there.
YMCA when we were with Dana. Great moment. Okay, yeah, were, it was the rally in uh, Arizona. That was some rally. That so was, we were on your Instagram. You do throw some good campaign rallies. I tell you, your people are pretty loyal. Like we, It's pretty amazing. How Trump rallies are lit. Trump rallies are pretty insane. So we had a rally in Texas the other day, 87,000 people. And plenty of people couldn't get in. They just couldn't get in. Too many people. They called it Stampede. I, I spoke to the sheriff, who's great. Can you let those people get in? Thousands and thousands couldn't get in. He said, sir, we're worried about a stampede. Do we think that all the Trumpers, when they show up at his rallies, the thousands that show up and they all get up and they do their little, their little dance... Uh, to uh, YMCA by the village people. Do we think that they have any idea that that's the gay men's anthem? Don't be rude. I mean, you would think by now they would know, even in the flyover area of America where there are more pigs than people, Iowa. You're fired. Uh, no, nah, I'm just asking that question. But boy, Donald Trump is on that stage, and let me tell you something. This music gets gets him going, man. He's like doing the jiggle wiggle up there. So we got George Steinbrenner Sr. We got Donald Trump. We used to sit in the box with George Steinbrenner Sr. I saw him like twice. Up there sitting with uh, George, who, by the way, uh, had a love-hate relationship with me like uh, Trump has had with me, a love-hate relationship. I'll never forget, this is right after I got shot five times with the hollow-point bullets by uh, Frank Morano, that Mama Luke's friends, the Gottis and the Gambinos. And at the time, the old WABC, we had an actual box there because we carried the Yankee games. And I did the post-post-Yankee game show after John Sterling, but he never shut his mouth. As I would tell John Sterling, idiot, if the Yankees lost, nobody wants to hear you talking about how they lost over and over and over again. John, the weed man, Sterling. I'm just going to leave it at that. All rise. Here comes the judge. Yeah, go back to smoking your weed. Yankees win. The Yankees win. And so uh, I'm uh, basically shuffling uh, my way to Yankee Stadium. The Guardian Angels, uh, they're uh, at my side. The ticket guy says, tell you what, why don't you go in by where the press goes in? And where the Yankees go in, because you can barely walk. So I go over there. We're coming up to, I think, the Lowe's section where the WABC box was. And George Steinbrenner gets into the elevator, and he couldn't be nicer. Oh, Curtis, I heard. Oh, God, it must be tough. How many? Five, five hollow points. Oh, my God. If you need anything, just let any of the personnel here know. So we go into the box area for WABC. It's packed. And then I decide, guys, let's leave about the fifth inning because I can't deal with too many fans. I'm having a hard time walking. 
We leave during the fifth inning. I think they were singing YMCA at the time. They were manicuring the infield and, you know, home plate, around the bases, and all what they generally do. And I walk outside, and the the guy, the page, who's assigned to our room, our box, is shaking. I said, Phil, what's wrong? He said, Steinbrenner's on a, a rampage. He just fired one of the pages. He's going up and down. He, he's out of his mind. I, I can't afford to lose this job, Curtis. I said, look, look, don't worry. Everything will be fine. Calm down. He goes, no, you don't know George. I said, I saw him earlier before the start of the game. He was perfect. We get back into the elevator. And George Steinbrenner gets into the same elevator. Ironically, the next floor going down is we're going down to a street level. And he comes in and it's like smoke coming out of his ears. You, what are you guys doing here? I said, George, you, you just greeted me like five innings ago. Get out of here. You guys don't belong. Now, I had to explain to the guardian angels that. There is this thing called being manic and depressive. Bipolar disorder. There are a number of diagnostic reasons why people can be so happy like a clam. And by the way, where did this term happy as a clam come about? I've never known any clams to be happy, right? Oh, uh, he's happy as a clam. Did you ever know a clam to be happy, especially when you're ready to eat the clam? Oh, the clam is, oh, eat me, eat me, eat me. I'm so happy. I'm happy as a clam. Did did that ever happen? Can anybody explain to me the origin of you're happy as a clam? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So my guys were like stunned. And I said, look, the boss, he's manic depressive. One minute he loves you. Next minute he hates you. That's just his personality. In fact, at the old WABC, uh, the woman who actually was the receptionist for many years had actually been George Steinbrenner's receptionist, African-American woman from the Bronx. And she explained it months later. She said, you got to understand, when I was the receptionist at Yankee Stadium, George Steinbrenner would be on the phone screaming at somebody at the top of his lungs for like a half hour, 40 minutes. And then he would slam the phone on them. Then he would call me a half hour later and he would say, uh, find out what the favorite charity of that person is. And I'd call him up and I'd get the information. And then he'd write him a personal check. So basically he'd scream at you for 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And you'd have to take the incoming. It's sort of like you couldn't just start arguing with George Steinbrenner. You weren't going to go anywhere. And then if he beat you down enough or in his mind he went over the top, he would write you out a check to your favorite charity. It's not the first time I heard that story. I heard that from about half a dozen people who got read the riot act by George Steinbrenner Sr. only to be sent a check to their favorite charity like a week later. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ron calling from Michigan. Your turn to be heard there at WABC, Ron. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Curtis, before I get to the grape nuts, I'm 74. 
I walk with a cane, but I'm a Vietnam veteran with two MOSs that could be used in the Israeli Hamas conflict. Do you think they would accept a 74 year old volunteer? Realistically, uh, in the Ukraine, they would. I'm not talking about Ukraine. I'm talking Israel. I don't know about that. I don't think so. I think I, I don't think, think so. so either. No. Yeah, but okay. About about the grape nuts, though. You know, when I first ate grape nuts, we used to go on the tour of the Kellogg's factory, and then the Post factory also had a tour. And after the tour, the Post tour guides they sit everybody down. They give you soft serve ice cream with grape nuts on it, and then you get your little boxes of cereal as souvenirs to take home and eat. And I fell in love with grape nuts and ice cream, but I love grape nuts, even just grape nuts and milk and, and fruit. So I'm a grape nut guy. Let me ask you a question, Ron. Uh, did you prefer Kellogg's from Battle Creek, Michigan, or the Post products? Kellogg. Oh, you Kellogg. What, what, what was your favorite cereal uh, from Kellogg's? Grape, um, not grape nuts, the uh, Raisin Brand. Oh, the Raisin Brand. Yeah. A lot of sugar in that raisin brand. You know that, Ron. I know that, and I got diabetes. But I'll tell you this, Curtis. You know, we didn't have the diabetes problem, in my opinion, until they let high fructose corn syrup go on the market, okay? And that, that killed my mother, okay? She was working on the uh, Mars Candy Factory production line, and she uh, she had no willpower as far as candy goes. And that killed her, but the high fructose corn syrup, those guys, uh, they're, they're the ones that gave us all diabetes and all this other stuff, the, the corporate farmers. It's uh, it's their fault. And Now, let me ask you a question, uh, Ron. You said your mother was on the assembly line of the Mars uh, Chocolate uh, Company. Uh, what was her favorite uh, product of Mars bars? Snickers. Oh, Snickers. You know who's <laughs> yeah, addicted you know who's addicted to Snickers? Oh. The Russians. Uh, when I was in Russia, 1994, this is after uh, Gorbachev got sacked with Isaiah in the Crimea by the generals and the drunk uh, Yeltsin took over. As I'm walking around Moscow, the Mars Bars company were giving out Snickers for free to the Russians. The actual uh, Duma, which is their former parliament, passed a law that said they thought it was a CIA plot to addict Russians. To this day, you go there. Uh, the Mars Bars company did not abide by the boycott of Russia, you know, to close their factories and not sell their product there after the invasion of the Ukraine. And when they were asked why, they said because Russians are addicted to Snickers, and if we did that, it would be almost as bad as if Russians couldn't get their vodka and cigarettes. Aren't we brilliant? Aren't the American CIA brilliant? Well, in that one, yes, because I saw the Russian. Now, let me ask you a question. The UAW is still on strike. Obviously, it's hit a lot of the production facilities and the secondary uh, industries that make the parts uh, in Michigan and Ohio and the surrounding areas. I noticed that the United Auto Workers president, Sean Fain, was wearing the shirt Eat the Rich, uh, now he doesn't wear that anymore. What happened to those shirts that he was wearing? Eat the rich. I don't know. I, I, I know the term, you know, you're supposed to eat the rich because they're, well, you know, you talked about Snickers there. 
the candy company. Yes. You know, they, they were like, uh, I was reading in the New Yorker magazine, that they were like worth, uh, the owners, $5 billion. But then with all the tax cuts that they got, they're like up to like $140 billion. And every time that their profits go up, they pay less and less in taxes. And that's all these giant corporations. So when they say eat the rich, that's what they mean, I think. You know, it's... But wasn't that the dress that AOC all out crazy? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a leader of the Socialists of America, was wearing at the Met. Remember, eat the rich. Yeah, he was wearing that shirt during negotiations. They're still negotiating. The strike is not settled. The UAW, uh, Sean Fain. And I remember in every public appearance, he had signs that said, eat the rich, shirts that said, eat the rich. Now you don't see them anymore, which must mean they're close to coming up to an agreement. Eat the rich. I wonder how much he makes a year if that would be considered rich as the UAW president. That would be interesting to check into. (laughs) And it's all about the production of electric cars that don't require as many men and women and transgenders and robots on the assembly line. Based on the the, uh, combustion engines that burn up the diesel fuel or the gasoline requires more people on the assembly line, more men, more women, more transgenders, and more robots. That's really what it's come down to. 1-800-848-9222. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Amy Winehouse, the song Rehab, who would hit the pipe, the meth pipe, that took her out. Uh, just can never, ever recover from that addiction. In and out, in and out, in and out. Just could not recover from that addiction, and it took her life. But the suggestion is, is that more people have died from their addiction to ice cream and potato chips. Sausage, biscuits, soft drinks, and sugary cereals than any cocaine or heroin overdoses. And that in addition, it contributes to the cognitive decline. Well, I can see that, Broadway Bill Lee and Big Tony. Uh, that's Joe Biden's favorite ice cream. He's always eating ice cream. Maybe they ought to get him to stop eating ice cream because his cognitive decline is just getting worse and worse and worse as he slips into the abyss of mumbling and stumbling. I'd look, i got to choose my words here. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? 
And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. I don't mean, I don't mean you're picking on me. I'm just the nature of things. You turn on the television, and there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know. To say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. I mean, I, I, I get it. We got to make sure he doesn't eat ice cream. What the hell is he talking about? He might get it, but nobody else does. What's he going to tell us the next time, you know, the story about the turtle swimming across the lake with the scorpion on his back? And the turtle goes, why did you sting me? Because I'm going to drown, but you're going to drown too. Right? I mean, please. Spare us. Do not allow President Joe Biden to have any ice cream. Mr. President, Mr. President, can you be specific about what you did to try to reappropriate those border funds, especially when Democrats controlled both chambers of Congress? You know, the wall thing? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, sir. Yeah, they passed. Well, I was told that I had no choice, that, I, you know, Congress passes legislation to build something, whether it's an aircraft carrier, a wall, or provide for a tax cut, I can't say I don't like it, I'm not going to do it, if it hadn't been vetoed, if it's a law. Cut the ice cream off. I mean, it's got to be the ice cream. Come on. Come on, Dr. Jill, whatever you call yourself, doctor. What kind of doctor are you? You keep feeding the addiction of your husband, the president, ice cream. It leads to his cognitive decline, which is so freaking noticeable. You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. No ice cream, please. I don't care if he's got a cone in his hand. I don't care if it's a sugar cone, whatever cone it is. Take it out of his hand. Oh, man. You see, this this study proves to me he doesn't strike me as a potato chip guy because, remember, Bush 41, he was into pork rinds. Freaking pork rinds. He'd die from that stuff. And then uh, Ronald Reagan, he was into jelly beans. Well, his cognitive decline came fast. Jelly beans is like a killer. You'll end up in the ICU. And then Barack Obama, it was, it was broccoli. Yeah. But at least you don't have cognitive decline from broccoli. You do from pork rinds, Bush 41. Well, he's no longer with us. And Ronald Reagan, jelly beans, uh, he's no longer with us. Well, what's the excuse for Bush 43? He's had cognitive decline for a long, long, long time. Let's see. And then, of course, we have uh, Donald Trump. Fast food. I mean, that guy just eats fast food. Big Macs. You know, fish fillets. Supersized fries. And I forget what kind of shake he likes. I think it's the strawberry shake. And remember the time that uh, Chamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, had gotten on board the campaign at a tarmac uh, uh, in Dallas. Came out, he endorsed Donald Trump for president, and then he barnstormed with uh, uh, Donald Trump at that time. And they would send him 
to get to Mickey D's. That's the worst person you could send to McDonald's. Shamu El Jefe Chris Christie. Because I think they had an order uh, for the Trump jet. Like 24 uh, Big Macs, fish fillets, strawberry shakes, Diet Cokes. Because, you know, Trump likes a Diet Coke. And by the time Chris Christie got back, it was in Columbus, Ohio. Half of the stuff in the bag, the McDonald's order was gone. Because he had eaten it. Don't be stupid. No, no, no. You're stupid. You're like uh, Orca, the killer whale, going up and down the Jersey Shore. Get the hell off the beach. Trying to take out Donald Trump. He's not going to debate. He's not going to de- What the hell are you doing out there, Chris? You've maximized your pan. You just, just spend your time on the, on the beach doing your Orca, the whale patrols from S- Seaside Heights to uh, Point Pleasant. To Wildwood, just up and down. It's like Shamu, El Jefe, Chris Christie. Oh, man. Let's just say he's addicted to ice cream, too. Remember Custard? He was on the boardwalk of Seaside Heights, two-fisted. He had Custard in both hands. He had the state troopers with him, and some guy on a bicycle uh, started ridiculing him, say, it's bad enough you drink, you're eating one Custard in one hand, But you're such a slob, Slabinski, you're eating a second custard. And apparently Chris Christie did not drop the custard cones, ran after him because he would not. In fact, he was he was eating them one at a time while they were dripping all over him. My God, that's a guy who has an ice cream and potato chip addiction. There's no doubt about that. Shamu El Jefe. Chris Christie! Oh, God. Man, how many gallons of ice cream would he have to eat to satisfy his addiction in one sitting? Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. talking about Notre Dame football and leprechauns, talking about the Jaspers, yeah, the Jaspers up in Manhattan College, and it's interesting because I've been spending a lot of time up there, 
trying to prevent uh, Eric Adams and the city of New York through the Commissioner of Housing and Preservation, Adolfo Carrion, former Bronx borough president, tainted as he was, who tried to get a contractor to do work free at his house on City Island, which he did, in lieu of getting some kickback work, Adolfo should have went to jail. He didn't for political corruption. Instead, he worked for the Obama administration. And then he ended up being a vice president of this nonprofit called STAG, which was operating in the Bronx, has since moved to Mount Vernon uh, because they have a really bad track record in the Bronx, promising they're going to build affordable housing. And then they turn it into homeless shelters and use technology on the community. They wine them. They dine them at first. They have a cup of coffee and will be scared. It'll be affordable housing, you know, for veterans, for senior citizens. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, uh, they turn their backs. They flip the script. Or as Eric Adams says, you know, they pivot and shift. Or as I call it, flip-flop. And they screw the neighborhood that have been open to that suggestion. And that's where we're at, at 238th Street and Waldo, right up the block from the campus of Manhattan College, where Michael Balicic, Rudy Giuliani had gone there, Ray Kelly. The other night I was there at a meeting at the Overlook Manor. They were at the heart of our protests and continue to be. And it was right outside the Raymond Kelly dorm where some of the Manhattan College students stay. So those are the two, I would say, most prominent uh, graduates that I knew of, except I know of another graduate that always bothers uh, the alumni of Manhattan College when I tell them. And I like to stick it to them as they try to lobby me away from helping this organization of, of residents preventing the old dorm there at 238th and Waldo that was sold in this past year to this, uh, uh, this group called STAG to supposedly build affordable housing for veterans and senior citizens and some of our own homeless, American homeless. And instead, it's being wine dined and pocket lined by City Hall with their former vice president, Adolfo Carrion who should have gone to jail for political corruption as borough president of the Bronx, but he didn't, is now at City Hall, and he called up his former uh, bosses there and said, hey, how'd you like to double your dollars? You're sitting on that building there that you paid $18 million for. We'll double your dollars. You just turn it into a migrant resource emergency center, and we could fill it up. And now we're at an impasse after we had our demonstration. But this is not necessarily about me helping the people there organize as I've helped them in the other boroughs of the city of New York. And I want to give a special shout out to all of those great rebels outside of that senior citizen, former home that was uh, removed of senior citizens, some uh, in their 90s. Some from the greatest generation who had fought in World War II and the Korean War and kicked out into the streets and told, we got to make way for the illegal aliens. There's about a 100 of them there now. 
the battle lines are drawn in the driving rain today. The rebels there at Midland Beach were out in force in the driving rain because they know that something is up. Something is brewing at City Hall. City Hall is facing a series of setbacks in their attempt to continue to operate what they call emergency migrant resource centers in buildings that they have procured for that purpose. Now that they've, the fire marshals have gone in, a lot of these buildings uh, are now being called fire traps, unsafe for anybody, never mind illegal aliens, no sprinklers, sprinklers, you know, going back to the Triangle uh, Shirt Factory and the fire there that the labor movement always has a commemoration for because of unsafe uh, work conditions at the Triangle Shirt Factory in the Lower East Side, but unsafe living situations in some of these buildings. Just to sort of catch up uh, for you, uh, St. John's Villa, which was the former girls' uh, Catholic high school, there in Grasmere, right in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge in Staten Island, that's been the battleground They've had sewage problems. They've had plumbing problems. They've had all kinds of problems affecting the building there. And now apparently the fire marshals have uh, issued an order, which I believe will be acted upon Monday when the marshals will come in and take the illegal aliens out because it's considered now unsafe. It's a fire hazard. Likewise, it was a school not far away that was converted into housing for Homeless, single, able-bodied young men right near the Stapleton section. Already has a number of shelters there for Americans, but this was just exclusively for the illegal aliens. That was ruled unsafe for their occupancy because of asbestos poisoning. So they had to take all those single, able-bodied men out of there. We don't know yet where they moved them, but we know that earlier on Saturday in the driving rain as the rebels out there at Midland Beach were protesting, uh, they were moving in the National Guard. So expect over the next 48 hours, I mean, there's going to be the battle of all battles. And when I mean battles, I'm not talking about fighting the police or fighting the National Guard, but there probably will be a series of arrests. I might well be arrested. They're not moving them into that senior citizen building. No, they kicked out senior citizens from the greatest generation, World War II and the Korean War. They're not moving those illegal aliens in as they begin to close facilities. Uh, If you happen to be in the College Point area, uh, they just closed St. Agnes uh, High School, which was an all-girls school in College Point. Had about 300 students there, was converted into a migrant resource emergency center. They had upwards of 500 illegal aliens packed there in the gym and the other floors. The fire marshals went in. They said no sprinklers. This is a fire trap waiting to happen. And they issued orders that all 500, although I think it was down to about 150, would have to leave. They were bussed out on city buses. We don't know where they were sent. But with 800 illegal aliens a day being bussed in by uh, Governor Abbott of Texas, who doubled the numbers from 400 because Eric Adams can't keep his mouth shut. A month ago, he called uh, Governor Abbott a madman. 
He didn't try to meet with Governor Abbott when he was here for one day to speak to the Manhattan Institute and do a round of interviews. Wouldn't meet with him, nor would Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. They continue to call him names, and he's just doubled the amount of illegal aliens coming in, 800 a day. So we know they want to use that senior citizen long-term housing building in Midland Beach right along Father Capadonna Boulevard. We know it. And we're gearing up. And it's going to be the mother of all demonstrations, and there will be acts of civil disobedience committed. We're not letting that happen. We're not letting that happen. Just as I'm not going to let that happen uh, at 238th and Waldo to that building, I'm going to force Manhattan College, if it's the last thing I do, to buy that building back. They got $18 million for that building. They're sitting on an endowment of tens of millions of dollars. They should just buy it back and give that nonprofit group, uh, sweeten it up a bit. So instead of the 18 million, maybe throw them another 2 million for 20 million. Buy the building back. Do the right thing. You are a bad neighbor in Riverdale. Bad, bad Manhattan College. And if you happen to be alumni or you happen to be sending your children or grandchildren and paying exorbitant rates, that both you are going to be having to pay back in loans or your children or grandchildren in student loans, maybe in perpetuity. You better put pressure on the president and vice president of the university who came to meet with me and lobby me against my efforts to help the people at Overlook Manor. Stop the conversion of that dorm, that empty dorm at 238th and Waldo into a migrant center. And I told him, I said, no, let me see the contract. Oh, we're not at liberty to show you the contract. Why? I thought there's transparency. You don't have a covenant in there? So that if all of a sudden this nonprofit group that had bought the building from you for one reason, to use to create affordable housing for senior citizens, veterans, and homeless, and now all of a sudden they decided to use it for something far different that would have dire ramifications to the neighborhood. You don't have the option to buy the building back. I don't believe that. Let me see the contract. No, we're not at liberty to show you. So there was the president, vice president here with Ray Kelly, longest serving police commissioner, proud graduate of Manhattan College. Rudy has not weighed in on this, another proud graduate of Manhattan College. But while I was up there Thursday, And I was looking for the meeting location. I couldn't find the meeting location. So I was going up and down Waldo, I don't know, up and down the steps, down to 238th from the number one train where I had departed. And I get into conversations with uh, two guys who uh, said that they had gone to Manhattan College and now work in some capacity, although they wouldn't relate to me in what capacity. And we were talking about the history of Manhattan College, the Jaspers. It's a small campus, about 20 acres, about four buildings now that serve as dorms. And most uh, kids who go there, a lot of them live on campus or they live off campus. It costs, costs a lot of money to go there. A lot of people become engineers. They get involved in uh, construction, development, those kind of things. So I was talking to these two alumni, and I said, uh, you're aware Raymond Kelly is? Oh, absolutely. You know Rudy went here. Yeah, absolutely. I said, do you know that Tommy Thomas Gambino went there? He said, what? Yeah, Thomas Gambino. 
Thomas Gambino was the son, along with Giuseppe Joseph, of Carlo Gambino, who was the head of all of organized crime when they lived on Ocean Avenue. And very humble, not a very ostentatious building. Carlo Gambino was actually an illegal alien living here. And every time he had to go for meetings in Italy, they would smuggle him north of the border into Canada, into a um, cargo container um, ship in the port of Toronto, and then would sail to Italy. He'd have his meetings, and then he'd come back, and he'd be snuck across the border into the United States to Brooklyn. So he had his son, Tommy, and he had his son, Joseph. Tommy went to Manhattan College. They looked at me like, you're lying, you're lying. I said, no, Thomas Gambino went here to Manhattan College. You had the good and the bad. You had Rudy, Michael Baticic, you had Ray Kelly. I'm sure you had other esteemed alumni I'm not aware of. And you had the bad, Thomas Gambino. They said, nah, you're making that up. Everybody, Every time I enlighten people, they accuse me of making things up. It's like I'm telling you, Thomas Gambino died earlier yesterday, I think at the age of 94, but he had gone to Manhattan College. No, you're making that up. We're alumni. We would know. You know nothing about nothing. Just like you didn't even know the Manhattan College is going to screw that neighborhood by having sold that empty dormitory to a nonprofit that's going to accept double the dollars from City Hall to the uh, Commissioner of Housing and Preservation, the corrupt Adolfo Carrion, who used to work as the vice president there. When Pauli Castellano, the head of organized crime, and the head of the Gambino crime family knew he was going to go down. He was being uh, multiple indictments against them, along with the other four heads of organized crime families, the Genovese, the, uh, uh, who was that? Let's see, uh, Fat Tony Salerno of the Genovese, the Colombo Colombo crime family, uh, clearly the uh, Lucchese crime family, he had all of those, and the banana crime family. So Rudy Giuliani, as U.S. attorney in the Southern District, was taking out all five. And Paulie Castellano knew that he would end up having to go away. He was the son-in-law of Carlo Gambino. And when Carlo Gambino died of natural causes, uh, he gave the leadership over to his uh, son-in-law, who was considered not just a murderous thug, uh, a butcher by trade, but also a white-collar business guy. So a lot of guys objected to that. And they objected to uh, Tommy Gambino and Joseph Gambino, who seized control of trucking, the trucking businesses in Manhattan, on behalf of their father, Carlo Gambino. And uh, west of 7th Avenue imposed a 7% mob tax on all goods manufactured and shipped from the fashion area. 7%. Every dress, I don't care if it was on a racket, Lomans, that used to be up along the Deegan Expressway in the Bronx. They closed Lomans. They closed the Stelladoro plant up there, which is right there near Reverdale. Whatever happened, I used to love the smell of the Stelladoro Bakery in Riverdale. Whatever happened, no more Lomans, no more Stelladoro. Gone. But I digress. So the idea was, with Paulie Castellano going away, 
to prison because it was guaranteed. He wasn't just indicted uh, in the RICO Conspiracy Act or other indictments. He was gone. So in order to prepare the way for new leadership, he had decided that Thomas Gambino, Tommy Gambino, the son of Carlo Gambino, would take control of the Gambino crime family and that his uh, consigliere would be Tommy Bellotti. Tommy Bellotti, who was the bodyguard and the driver for Paulie Castellano. We had discussed that just 24 hours ago because he was selling the White House on Toad Hill, which is where Carlo, excuse me, where Paulie Castellano, Big Paulie, uh, did his business from. That Frank Morano wants to try to purchase virtually. I think they want $18 million for the house, and Frank Morano actually put an ad in the advance, the Staten Island advance, making a bid on it. I don't know where he got the money from. Y'all should call him when he does the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, and ask him about that. He thought he could virtually purchase the White House, uh, which is made almost to spec to look like the White House in Washington. It overlooks the Verrazano Bridge. Remember, Toad Hill is the highest point in all of New York City. The highest point in all of New York City. And Hillary Rodham Clinton, when she was running for president against Donald Trump, actually did a fundraiser in that house. I forget who owned it at the time. The point is, it's up for sale. So we spoke extensively about Paulie Castellano 24 hours ago and the feud that my family on the Italian side, the body side, had with Paulie Castellano, who had the butcher shop, on Avenue L and 92nd Street and wouldn't sell uh, bones that he would sell to the rendering plant that they would turn uh, into uh, gunpowder to my uncle Steve, who was going to make the bone marrow soup for my mother, Francesca, who had rheumatic fever. That was considered a way to remedy rheumatic fever. And uh, uh, we hated, hated Paulie Castellano and hated the Gambinos uh, ever since. So that gives you a little idea of that. I had no idea that Thomas Gambino uh, was soon to die when we were talking yesterday. So apparently he had already died when I was talking and it was announced uh, early in the day today. So he's dead at 94 years old. And it's interesting because he had imposed, him and his brother Joseph, on behalf of his uh, father, Carlo Gambino, in, in charge of all of organized crime and the Gambino crime family, a form of congestion pricing for those who had commercial trucking. So basically it was a tax that was simply accepted as the cost of doing business. And they grossed $70 million a year and made $22 million in profits just taxing the trucks that were transporting the apparel that were coming out of the fashion district uh, like I said, the dresses that I think even went to the uh, wholesale outlet at Lomans in the Bronx and other places, but they were making money hand over fist. And the thought was that Tommy Gambino would take over and run the Gambino crime family and organized crime with Tommy Bellotti as his, uh, his consigliere. So it was interesting because when John Gotti Sr. was on trial for the very last time, and the Memorex tapes did him in as he ordered execution after execution of some of his best earners. 
simply for being late to a meeting, which back then you had no cell phones. You could be stuck on the BQE. You know, there's once you're on the BQE, there's no escape until you reach an exit. You could be stuck there for hours. And John Gotti Sr. above the Ravenite Social Club, which has now been turned into a transgender dress store. They sell dresses to transgenders there out of that shop. Would go upstairs with his uh, underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano, and they would discuss the business of the Gambino crime family and all of organized crime. And on those Memorex tapes, because the FBI had planted bugs in that widow's uh, house, especially one of her uh, uh, one of her lights. I forget where it was. I think on the study or the bureau, but it was bugged. It, it was wired up like a Christmas tree, and they were able to hear the conversations crystal clear between John Gotti Senior and his wartime. Excuse me, his uh, underboss Sammy the Bull Gravano. That did him in in trial, and of course. When Sammy the Bull Gravano ate the Parmesan cheese and decided to testify against John Gotti Sr., it was over. Jury found him guilty of multiple counts. They couldn't fix the jury as they had before because it was always Sammy the Bull Gravano who had fixed the three previous juries that made it appear that the counselor, the lawyer for John Gotti Sr., was the super attorney, Bruce Cutler, who originally was an ADA in the Brooklyn Kings County District Attorney's Office, then went into private practice, represented John Gotti Sr. on three previous cases. All of them uh, ended up in hung juries, and we were to find out many years later that it was Sammy the Bull Gravano and his minions who fixed the juries. It wasn't the great legal prowess of a guy who looked like Benito Mussolini in the courtroom, Bruce Cutler, whose father, by the way, had been an esteemed detective for the DA's office in Brooklyn and also, I think, an assistant district attorney also. So I've gotten you all up to speed. And with the death of Thomas Gambino, I'm going to have to keep pounding away at the alumni of Manhattan College that just like they didn't know that Thomas Gambino was one of theirs, who could have ended up becoming the head of all of organized crime and the Gambino crime family if Paulie Castellano had not been whacked outside of Sparks Steakhouse by John Gotti Sr., Sammy the Bull Gravano, and their underlings. The guy replacing him would have been Thomas Thomas Gambino and Tommy Velotti. And yet, in some of those recordings that were played in the trial of John Gotti Sr., clear, crystal clear, the feds, the FBI, had recorded chats between Gotti Sr. and Thomas Gambino, capturing Thomas Gambino, acknowledging his position as a capo, a captain, and admitting to a loan-sharking business both before serving four years behind bars. He did not protest the fact that John Gotti Sr. had whacked his, um, I guess, uncle, right? Paulie Castellano would be his uncle. Yeah, his uncle, right? So son-in-law of Carlo Gambino, Tommy Gambino, and Joseph Gambino were the sons of Carlo Gambino. Paulie Castellano, head of organized crime, was his son-in-law. So I think that would make Tommy Gambino and Joseph Gambino his, uh, 
brother-in-laws, right? Oh, yeah, brother-in-laws. Okay, so now, now I'm back on track. Now I'm back on track. And all of this happened because you may remember that famous photograph that went all over the world virally before there was ever social networking of Albert Anastasia, the head of Murder Incorporated, who controlled the docks for the Longshoremen's Union in Red Hook, controlled all the docks. But he went to the Park Sheraton Hotel where once a week he would get a shave and the barber was in on the hit on him as he covered his face with a hot towel, the cigar protruding out. The barber, the hairstylist, stepped away. And Joey Gallo and uh, Kid Blast Gallo and the Gallows came in blazing. And they shot Albert Anastasia like 50 times. And he was dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. And that's how that transition came about. That's how Carlo Gambino became the head of organized crime, replacing Albert Anastasia. And now you know the rest of the story. But even to this day, as I'm lobbying the alumni and the trustees of Manhattan College to buy that empty dorm back and not allow it to be turned into a emergency migrant center for the illegal aliens, uh, I'm continuing to pour salt in the wounds and saying, okay, Ray Kelly, proud graduate of Manhattan College, a Jasper. Michael Botticich, Rudy Giuliani, proud graduate of Manhattan College there in Riverdale, a proud Jasper. And yes, Thomas Scambino, who would have been the head of all of organized crime, had Paulie Castellano survived and not been whacked at Sparks Steakhouse. Because Paulie Castellano would have gone away probably triple life without parole for all the indictments that Rudy got on him. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, the interesting thing about Tommy Gambino and his brother Joseph, remember, consigned by their father, Carlo Gambino, to basically run the apparel trade in the fashion district of the west side of Manhattan. Annually, the brothers would gross about $70 million and collected $22 million in profits. And that was based on what they called, I guess you could call it congestion pricing uh, tax. That's what's going to happen to all of us. But it was simply on the trucks carrying the apparel from dresses to Lomans up in the Bronx. It's no longer there in other places and other apparel. They imposed a 7% mob tax on goods manufactured and shipped from the local businesses here, helping to chase a lot of those apparel businesses down in North Carolina. I mean, in addition to just the high cost of doing business in New York generally, you're dealing with a 7% vig over your head. Man, it's tough to make ends meet. Just to give you an idea of the strength of Tommy Gambino and his brother Joseph Gambino, they uh, had lent money to Bob Mackey, the celebrity fashion designer, in 1991. He couldn't pay it back. So before they started strong-arming him, they said, tell you what, why don't you create a brand-new wardrobe for my brother Joseph Gambino, for me, my wife, his wife, 
and dresses for relatives before an upcoming family wedding to help pay off your vig from me and Giuseppe. And you know damn well Bob Mackey said it beats women with the fishes in the Hudson River. So he had his uh, production line on 7th Avenue working overtime. So here was this uh, unbelievable wedding involving one of the Gambino family members. And everybody had new designer outfits by Bob Mackey. And Tommy Gambino, who was a smooth operator, people asked him, wow, Bob Mackey must really be a good friend of yours. Say, yeah. And he's also not a welcher. He knows how to pay his debts. It may not have been in good old-fashioned cash, but everybody is decked out splendidly here today thanks to the designer, Bob Mackey, and they gave him a standing ovation. And he also had to put money in the booster bag. They weren't going to let him get away without putting a, a, a big fat envelope in the booster bag. So they're cruising along, and guess what? The Manhattan DA busted both brothers, Tommy Gambino and Joseph Gambino, at the time, the longest-serving DA, I think, in the history of any district attorney's offices, Morgenthau, Bob Morgenthau. And he assigned the case to an up-and-coming assistant district attorney known as Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer, even then, was wearing knee socks. Nobody quite knew why he would be wearing knee socks. I will explain that momentarily. So Elliot Spitzer goes to trial, and he's got these witnesses whose uh, lives were being threatened. And so Elliot Spitzer figured out a Solomon-like compromise for Tommy Gambino and Joseph Gambino. What he decided was, i tell you what, Rather than us trying to lock you up and throw away the key forever and a day, like John Gotti Sr., where he went to Marion, triple life without parole, and died of throat cancer while in Springfield, Missouri, in the hospital there, the federal prison hospital. And thank God he went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. I applauded that. I danced the Tarantella, the horror. I did the glide. I mean, I was just euphoric. But in the case of Elliot Spitzer, ADA, wearing his knee socks, not because he was planning to all of a sudden transport Ashley Dupree, the prostitute, to hook her from Red Bank across state lines and violate the Mann Act, as he did years later as governor to the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C., when confronted by the feds, they said, you got a choice, Elliot. Either we lock you up on the Man Act like we did former heavyweight champion African-American Jack Johnson. Like we locked up the guitarist, uh, rock and roller Chuck Berry, also for transporting uh, women across state state lines. In terms of Jack Johnson, it was a white woman, so they busted him on the Man Act. She wasn't a prostitute. Chuck Berry, uh, underage girls. Oh, yeah, man. He was like a pedophile on a pedestal like... Jerry Lee Lewis, great balls of fire, right? 13, oh, that's prime time. And then Elvis Presley, 14, that's prime time. They were all a bunch of pedophiles on a pedestal. But the point is, Elliot Spitzer realized the gig was up. 
He resigned, and the next thing you know, the telephone rang, and it was my husband-in-law answering, Lieutenant Governor David Patterson, and all of a sudden, the chief of staff of Elliot Spitzer, who by then had resigned and left the offices uh, of the governor of the state of New York in the le- at the legislative building, uh, had already moved his stuff out of the executive mansion. The call came in to my husband-in-law, David Patterson, that he is now the governor. And glory, hallelujah, hallelujah, surprise, surprise, surprise. But when he was ADA for Morgenthau, he had negotiated a settlement with both the uh, Gambino brothers, Tommy and Joseph. They basically pled guilty to different charges. But it was interesting that they coughed up $12 million. They did a philanthropic uh, event and golf tournament every year, I think, for St. Mary's Hospital out in Long Island. And I think Tommy Gambino did four years in federal jail. I don't know how uh, Joey did. But I remember Elliot Spitzer was crowing like, Hey, you don't got to be like Rudy Giuliani. Lock him up and throw away the key. You can actually procure some of their assets in a settlement in which they pay you $12 million. They still do a little bit of time. They can't any longer operate in the fashion uh, district. Uh, you know, uh, in the apparel industry, charging that outrageous congestion pricing tax on every truck, on every piece of cloth and dress that came out of 7th Avenue, that 7% mob tax. And that's how you do the deal. I prefer the Rudy Giuliani way. I think uh, Tommy Gambino and Joseph Gambino got off easy, got off real easy for that as did Elliot Spitzer, who apparently, when he would order prostitutes from the madam and select them, he would wear knee socks when engaging in all kinds of decadent and debaucherous sex acts. Knee socks, Elliot Spitzer. By the way, apparently there are some guys who like to wear their socks when they go to sleep. I happen to be that kind of a person. It keeps my... My dog's uh, nice and warm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to have the urge to merge with my freaking socks on, you freak. Who's probably still doing that with Russian hookers. But it causes me to digress. So you see, he could have been the head of all organized crime, Tommy Gambino, son of Carlo Gambino. Paulie Castellano in the White House, knowing he was going to go away because Rudy Giuliani had the goods on him. In fact, as I explained 24 hours ago, when he went away on a a, a tour of uh, the Gambino operations in Florida, the FBI had gotten into the White House there on Toad Hill and had bugged it up and wired it like a Christmas tree. And so his own voice sunk his fortunes as it did John Gotti Sr. And they hated one another. They despised, they loathed one another. But at that point, as big and bad as John Gotti Sr.'s crew was with his uh, uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano, his underboss, and Ruggiero and others, and Delacroach, they didn't come into Canarsie. They rarely came into Canarsie, even though you had... uh, Jojo Carrazzo and Little Nick Carrazzo, who I grew up with and had constant battles with. 
They ran the Gambino operation there on Avenue L, opposite the Lucases. But the Gotti's really didn't come in there. They, uh, no, 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 they didn't come in there. Because that was the area of Roy DeMeo, the psychotic killer who lived out in Massapequa Park uh, and uh, just was uh, loco in the brain. Maybe it had to do with graduating James Madison High School on Quinton Road, uh, not far from where Sid Rosenberg grew up. Notice how ironic. Roy DeMeo went to Madison High School like the schmuck to putz Chuck E. Cheese Schumer, who's off to Israel. Like Bernie, the Altacaca Sanders, who condemned Israel and supports the Palestinians and Hamas. Like, uh, oh, like uh, Justice Ginsburg, who passed away, U.S. Supreme Court. Boy, a lot of folks who went to James Madison High School. And they never mentioned Roy DeMeo. He's probably responsible for more killings than any other savage killer in the history of Italian organized crime. Yeah, James Madison. They should have a list of all of them as you walk in. A beautiful, magnificent school. I passed it the other night when I was uh, going to speak at the uh, South Brooklyn GOP Club of the city councilwoman, Ina Vernikoff, who's running for re-election. I'm supporting her. Uh, this is before she was busted on their gun charge when she went to the demonstration outside of Brooklyn College. They wouldn't allow the demonstration inside about whether you supported Israel or you supported the Palestinians and Hamas. So you had both groups out on Bedford Avenue. Uh, the city councilwoman there, Hina Vernikoff, was busted because she was carrying a fully loaded 9mm. Now she has a permit, a carry permit, a concealed permit. But it wasn't concealed. You could actually see the revolver uh, out of her, uh, uh, above her belt. And so they booked her in the 70th precinct with, of course, a desk appearance ticket, which is known as a disappearance ticket. But you see, I have, uh, I have digressed. When we come back, I want to tell you about the time that a nephew of Carlo Gambino supposedly was kidnapped... And it turned out, as the story has been told by Frank Morano on his show about mobsters choking on his lobsters, you know, his podcast, that it was uh, John Gotti Sr. who ended up getting the kidnapper, the guy in charge, the wild Irish guy from the Westies out at a gin joint in Staten Island. They had nothing to do with this guy being kidnapped because he was never kidnapped. I'm going to break it down to you and bust Frank Morano, the Mameluke Stones, and make him cry for spreading misinformation about his friends, the Gottis and the Gambinos. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care And though my pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire My clothes may still be torn and tattered But in my heart I'd be a king Your love is all that ever mattered It's everything 
You know, Manhattan College is such a bad neighbor in Riverdale to the community because they have an old dormitory that will soon be converted into a migrant resource center over my dead body as I help organize the community with the epicenter being at Overlook Manor on Waldo and 238th. Show you what money grubbers they are at Manhattan College, you know, for their endowment. I bet you if Tommy Gambino had wanted to contribute to their endowment since he was an esteemed alumni of that school, as much as they want to deny it, you can't. They'd probably take his money and maybe even name one of the dorms after Thomas Gambino because they got one named after Ray Kelly. Yeah, they would probably say, well, see, we have law enforcement, Ray Kelly. We have uh, Rudy Giuliani, esteemed alumni who busted more mobsters choking on their lobsters in Italian organized crime than anyone in the history of the Department of Justice, U.S. Attorney's Office. And we have the guy who could have been the head of organized crime if uh, John Gotti Sr. had not decided to take out his uncle, meaning uh, Tommy Gambino's, uh, no, actually brother-in-law, uh, Paulie Castellano. And I bet you they take the money and name it after Thomas Gambino. They have money grubbers. Hey, if you happen to be alumni of Manhattan College, you got to call up the chancellor and the vice president and say, buy that dorm back. You make sure that illegal aliens are not being housed there. Buy it back. Buy it back. If you're members of the board of trustees, if you send your children, your daughters, your sons there, your grandchildren, what are you, crazy? You want illegal aliens there that nobody knows. They haven't been vetted out for background checks in terms of criminality. We have an increase in tuberculosis we haven't had in decades. All in the last year, ever since uh, Eric Adams welcomed the illegal aliens in. What are you, out of your mind? But I digress momentarily. Let's go to Jack, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. Good morning, Curtis. I'm a retired uh, police officer. I locked up one of the boss's kids in Manhattan. I, I forget what family ran the uh, garbage pickup for the construct, you know, for the commercial in Manhattan. But the son was in a red pickup truck, and his job was to make sure that they were doing their job. Well, he pulls up to 14th Street at Fifth Avenue. And robs a guy on the corner with a twenty-two rifle. I see it. My partner and I actually see it. The guy says they just robbed me. I chase him all the way over to 11th Avenue. He spins out, loses it. Long story short, we're processing him. And his father comes down. And he had to be a captain or a high rank or whatever because he had two of the biggest guys, bodyguards with him. And the father says to me, did he give you a hard time? I explained what he did, and I, I, I had to chase him over here. He apologizes to me and says to me, don't worry, you won't be seeing him anymore. Do you know I never went to grand jury? I never went to trial, never heard a word. I swear that they sent this kid back to the old country. I know they didn't whack him because it was his son. But they must have shipped him off to the old country. But how stupid is that? A twenty-two rifle, and he got fourteen dollars. 
Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're degenerates, uh, you know, they're psychotic. Uh, many of them are sociopaths or they just want to they do it because they think it's fun. They think it's fun. Yeah, well, he was given his job was to just make sure the garbage trucks were picking up the thing. His father just gave him, a, you know, a, a job to do, you know, just, just make sure the garbage trucks are doing their job, you know. <laughs> well, the other the other thing, uh, Jack, the other reason they do that is to make sure no wild catters are coming into their turf right. and picking up the garbage. Exactly. Right. But the father could not have been nicer to me. I had seen him a couple of more times in Little Italy. We never spoke, but he'd give me a nod, and that was it. He was appreciative. You know, his concern was that he'd give you a hard time. Did he fight with you? And I just I explained to him. I said he made me chase him all the way over to Eleventh Avenue. He spun out in the uh, in the intersection, but a twenty-two rifle. I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, well, you know, I'm telling he you, his, he had his girlfriend in the car too. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. I, I've seen these degenerates. I grew up with them, surrounded by them. You know, they think they're Mister Big Stuff. Who do they think they are? And uh, oftentimes they'd be driving around, sticking guns out of the car, capping shots at people or f- faking like they were going to shoot them and uh, getting off yep. on that. Getting off on that, Jack. Yeah. Well, I never seen the kid so scared as when he saw his father talking to me. Oh, I yeah. Mean, he, knew, he, he, he knew he was going to get it then. Yeah, you he, know? he was not only going to get it, but as you say, they put him on ice. Not in terms of him being dead. They probably sent him back to Sicily. You're absolutely right. Because, what, $14 robbery with a twenty two rifle. I think the reason the father may have asked, hey, did he rough you up? Did he give you a hard time? As he knows, it's more difficult if the guy were clipped for fighting with the cops. That would, a $14 robbery, twenty two rifle, nobody's hurt. They can make that go away. They can make that go away. Let's go to B calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, B. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Okay, so uh, Manhattan College, where is that? Uh, that's up in Riverdale. That's above Van Cortland Park, about 20 acres. Beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. Uh, but, boy, they are greedy. You know what? So I graduated from Borough of Manhattan College on Ch- on Church Street. Oh, sure. You know what that is? Yeah, sure. Right by the World Trade. Anyway, so um, what was it? I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> anyway, so I made three videos. They're like two- and three-minute videos. One of them, what well, doesn't matter. The last one I made was, uh, I called it Historic Giuliani, how I saw it and, you know, what I went through and how I saw you know, how I voted for him three times, the whole thing. Anyway, um, it's very hard to find. Like when, and like I posted it on Facebook and YouTube, and, and I, it's, it's not easy to find. But anyway, the second one I did was on Trump. And it's like two and a half minutes. But something very unique happened in the video while I was, while I was filming it. What was that? Um, the Almighty showed up in a cloud, hmm. among other things. Hmm. 
And anyway, how- it's called my my. So the my Facebook page is called B B E E Bonaventure, no D. And the video is is uh, is called Prime Time Thoughts, and it just you know it's, I filmed it in Milford, Connecticut. There's a uh, there's like a river running through the city, and so what I did was I put the phone in the picnic table in the picnic table to hold it, and then I read my I did my little spiel, and when I went into the car to see to look at the video, that's this is what I saw, and you're not going to believe it. I mean maybe some, you know some some people don't even can't even see it, but it's so clear it's just so clear and you could also see other things like animals i i caught a, a like a you know little frenchy you know the little frenchy uh bulldogs sure there's before this before the film even starts you, if you look in the cloud to to your to your left you could see like a little black dot and if you if you magnify it you know you pull it apart with your fingers but uh, but a, other a, a other than the other other than the French bulldog, B, you actually saw what appeared to be God. It is not hmm. appeared. It is. And how do you Definitely. how do you know it's God? Well, you 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 know you, I gave you the you look you can look at it. This thing has to go viral. It's him. It's him. Now, is it uh, God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament? I use the word God. I use Hashem. Hashem. Okay. So that's Old Testament. Hashem. Uh-huh. Old Testament. So Hashem right. was... And I study Torah. I've been studying Torah every day for years. Was... Uh, was... Very, I, have a, I have a very close relationship. And so he showed up in my video. I All definitely right. know it's him. Now, did he show up okay. behind the shoulder of Donald Trump or above uh, Donald Trump? Hey. Hmm. You'd be lucky if you find it and you see it. I'm telling you the truth. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm I'm going to scrutinize that. Apparently, B saw Hashem surface in a video she was doing about Donald Trump above his head. Hashem, not JC. Hashem. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
play is the song is fire. And it's interesting uh, now that the illegal alien issue has been put to the back burner of news coverage because of um, everything happening uh, over in Israel, in the Gaza, at the border with Lebanon and Syria and throughout the Mideast and uh, the Middle East and the Persian Gulf. It's been a lot going on in terms of uh, the rebels repelling the illegal alien invasion into our city. And we first always look to Staten Island because they put together the best coalition. The politicians have come together, the Republicans and most Democrats, not all. Uh, Democrats have the most to lose because in joining with the Republican opposition in Staten Island, they they clearly are at odds with Governor Hochul, President uh, Biden, and especially Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, and the mayor of the illegal aliens. The lawyers uh, are at their best in Staten Island. They've been going into court, fighting to get restraining orders. And the rebels, the rebels who are out there in full force today in the pouring rain, outside of that senior citizen center at Midland Beach, which is a flood zone to begin with. Remember, it got wiped out in Superstorm Sandy. But that senior citizen uh, housing unit was cleared out of senior citizens who were from the greatest generation, World War II, Korean War, some of them veterans, and told you had a month to find uh, new accommodations, pack your bags, and get the hell out. And when the seniors had asked, why? Well, well, what's wrong? Uh, They said, we're making uh, way for illegal aliens. So now there's a Mexican standoff going on there. But in the pouring rain today, protesters were out there and saying to the newly arrived National Guardsmen, just sent by Kathy Hochul, you're not bringing any more illegal aliens into this facility on Father Capadonna Boulevard. That is an armed camp now. If you attempt to go down Father Capadonna Boulevard or pass that area where the demonstrators have been morning, noon, and night, you will see. The whole area is blocked off. There's about 100 illegal aliens uh, who are staying inside. And the residents are not having any of it. And the reason that that's going to become the new focus point and not St. John Vila Academy, where I've spent a lot of time with the residents, they are mostly grandmothers and mothers who have been individuals surrounding that school to prevent any more illegal aliens from being sneaked into there under the cover of darkness by the Adams administration is that fire marshals have issued uh, orders that that uh, former school, Catholic High School for Girls, St. John Villa Academy, be emptied out because it is a fire hazard. It has no sprinkler system. Uh, People, if they're living there, would be in danger. Uh, And the city cannot overcome that. Now, over the weekend... I have it on good authority that Eric Adams was lobbying his uh, fire commissioner, who's already under fire, so to speak, by many of uh, her subordinates in the fire department. That's Kavanaugh. She's under fire because apparently she is willing to undo what the fire marshals have issued, which is a vacate order. So if she tries to do that, all hell is going to break loose because That would be violating a fire marshal's order. Now, remember, fire marshals 
uh, trained, they carry guns, so they have police powers in addition to uh, uh, being members of the fire department. So if there's a case of arson or a fire, they investigate. In this case, they have checked on many of the buildings that the Adams administration have housed illegal aliens in, and they're shutting them down because they're fire hazards. All of this should have been done exponentially before any illegals were shipped into these buildings. But there's been such a rush. And the buildings commissioner now is the former borough president of Staten Island, Republican conservative Jimmy Otto, who became a traitor, Judas, and rushed through uh, occupancy orders for these buildings that are having all kinds of problems. So most of the focus has been St. John's Villa Academy in Grasmere, which is right in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge. It has had sewage backups. It has had plumbing problems. It has had electricity problems. It is just never going to be brought up to spec. The mayor should just cut his losses there and retreat. That is not a place to die on the sword over because we have that place blocked in. It's one way in, one way out. And there are mothers and grandmothers there conducting a vigil as they were in the rain today while their their fellow uh, uh, residents over in Midland Beach were doing the same in the rain. When they were bringing the National Guard in and the National Guard was saying to the cops, these people are going to give us a hard time if you guys try to bring those illegal aliens in from St. John Villa Academy. In addition, it's not just St. John's Villa Academy. The fire department actually went into a school, which is right there near the Stapleton Projects. Uh, They had about 500 single able-bodied men that were housed inside. 500 single able-bodied men. You pass by, pass by many times, and there's usually about 60 or 70 of the illegal aliens outside with nothing to do and nowhere to go, just hell-bent on potentially getting into trouble in the neighborhood. That's just a matter of time. Well, the fire marshals went in to that school and declared it to be vacated because of asbestos uh, poisoning. So that school has been uh, cleared out. Have no idea where they brought those illegal aliens. But they got to house them somewhere. And all eyes are on Midland Beach. That's why we are putting more boots on the ground there. We know it's going to be a confrontation. There's no doubt. And then you look at St. Agnes. St. Agnes, which was an all-girls high school in College Point, which was closed by the order, actually the archdiocese that ran it more than three years ago. The city, through the Department of Education, dumbest organization ever, came in and bought the property with the idea that they would convert it into a badly needed public high school in the area. And all of a sudden... They decided, no, we're going to turn it into a migrant resource emergency center. They did that. This is in Vicky Palladino's district. She worked with the city, but she saw that you just could not depend on anything they said to be true. You just could not. They said, oh, it will be women and children coming in. Well, it turned out to be mostly single able-bodied men. At one time, upwards of 500 illegal aliens there uh, and the College Point area was being overrun with illegals. I know I have patrols there at Guardian Angels. 
Well, they removed all the illegal aliens from St. Agnes High School in College Point on Friday. The last bus left at about 12 midnight before I began the other side of midnight to the break of dawn. And they padlocked the school. Why? No sprinklers and deemed to be a fire trap by the marshals, the fire marshals. There are a number of other facilities, East 7th Street, Lower East Side, Manhattan, Elton uh, Street in the Bronx, uh, Highland Boulevard in uh, Staten Island, West 31st Street right here uh, on the west side of Manhattan. All of these are receiving vacate orders, seven different migrant centers, starting with St. John's Villa Academy is considered the worst, but they got to put them somewhere. So... We got all our eyeballs out there in the places where we have basically set up barricades and have human shields preventing any illegal aliens from coming in. So whereas people may have relaxed before, like uh, at Floyd Bennett Field, no materials have been brought out there to construct a tent that Eric Adams and Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb in conjunction with the Federal Administration, the Park Service, said, would be housing upwards of 7,500 single able-bodied men. But I and Sid Rosenberg from the morning show were conducting rallies out there, and apparently that's been put on hold. And also with all these uh, tsunami-like weather conditions, the rains pouring down from the sky, that's a that's an area that's been designated a flood zone ever since uh, Superstorm Sandy took that out. So uh, Eric Adams, I, what he's going to do? You know, I told him right here on WABC, and I said at our rallies, they have drones now. They follow me whenever I do a rally anywhere in the city. There's no need to do that. You should be uh, using drones against the Hamas supporters and the Palestinian supporters, some of whom may be terrorists because they got their faces covered with the shmatas, with the kafiyas. You know, making it look like they're in the Middle East. Part of the reason they're doing that isn't just the look. It's to cover up their face because if they were using the drones against them, which they should, to photograph them like they've been doing at my rallies, the people who attend the rallies get photographed, and I know they're using photo recognition technology. We've spent millions of dollars in NYPD funds to develop that technology. I'm in favor of it. But you use it against threats to society, threats to citizens, not against people exercising their First Amendment right of free speech like those in Staten Island. And I could tell every time I'd be speaking, the drone would be hovering over me in the front of the podium and in the rear and photographing everybody at the rallies. It's not why the drones were purchased. On behalf of the taxpayers, uh, that's not protecting anybody. That's spying on your political enemies. Uh, bottom line. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
This is the anthem that I have adopted every time we talk about the invasion of illegal aliens into our country. Remember, Americans, for the most part, are in favor of legal immigration, legal immigration. And there are so many first-generation legal immigrants who had to jump through hoops, wait patiently, file at their consulates or embassies in their country of origin, fill out massive amounts of paperwork. They had to have somebody who would vouch for them, somebody who would sponsor them. They still have family members and friends and others who are back in their country of origin who have yet to go through uh, all the process. Some having taken seven, six, five years. And then they see a horde of Venezuelans. You don't even know if they're Venezuelans because, let's face it, they get priority treatment. So you might as well, if you speak Spanish, just say you're a Venezuelan. Then when they ask you, papers, papers, oh, I lost them, you know, on the journey. Oh, they, they robbed me of my papers. Uh, well, where are you from? Caracas. I'm from Venezuela. They don't even ask them, who's the dictator there? Uh, let's see if they know it's Maduro or maybe even remember Hugo Chavez or any of the many Venezuelan baseball players who play in Major League Baseball. Don't even bother asking them. Don't even check their paperwork to authenticate who they are and where they're from. No background checks, no medical checks, no vaccines, tuberculosis now at a crisis level in New York City. I thought we had been done away with it, as it has been in most parts of the world, first world countries. Now we have a tuberculosis problem. Now I know all about tuberculosis. I had latent tuberculosis for five years, I had to take horse pills every Saturday to deal with that. Luckily, it didn't become full-blown, or I would have had to have been quarantined. You cannot have somebody hacking away, sneezing away, or whatever, coughing, if they have full-blown tuberculosis. It's a danger to everybody. They have young men in some of these tents on Randall's Island and in Creedmoor. I'll be in Creedmoor Monday night. Uh, just to do a checkup, because there are all kinds of problems there. And i got to tell you, if some of them have tuberculosis, now that it's getting colder, they're going to start to naturally start coughing in the tent while they're sleeping, and that's going to spread like wildfire, like wildfire, and not just to the other illegal aliens, but to the normal people. What about COVID? What about corona? These people haven't been vaccinated. They're like a breeding reactor. They could be spreading it everywhere. And we know that it's going to increase as the weather gets colder. So does the city or the state or the federal government do anything about that? They do ugats. They do bubkis. Well, 
Meantime, I'm beginning to work with communities in Chicago. Chicago is like my second city. I have a very active guardian angel chapter there. And the organizers there are not white people. They're not Hispanic people. They're black people. And one thing about black people, when they're angry, they don't hold back. Uh, in spending a lot of time in Chicago, they got a lot of reasons to be angry. They swapped out one mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, Lightweight, Featherfoot, whatever the hell her name was, uh, Beetlejuice, I call it. She looked like Beetlejuice. And they brought in the socialists. And what people don't understand, I kept telling everybody, they're going to elect a black guy. They don't care if he's a so. They're going to elect a black candidate. It came down to the runoff. The white guy and the black guy said, no, the black neighborhoods are going to be in solidarity. They're going to elect a socialist. And they did. And now they have voters' regrets. But the best thing about Chicago is when they're planning to put an illegal alien migrant center in a neighborhood, they have a town hall meeting first. They don't do that in New York City. Eric Adams does not do that. Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb does not do that. They basically shove it down your throat, tough noogies. Uh, in the wee hours of the morning, the buses come in and you have no say. And then you have to organize quickly. And that's why I'm here, to organize for all of you to prevent it. Or if anything, to stymie it or to stop it in its tracks. I want you to hear just a little sample of Chicago residents. When they get angry at these town hall meetings, they are extraordinarily expressive about not wanting the illegal aliens in their neighborhood. How can you come into a community and dump people in our community like this? This is not fair. We are the residents of this community, and we demand that they do not put these people here. They're not even following the rules in the police station. What makes us think that they're going to follow the rules here? Oh, boy. And then uh, they went on. That's the simple solution is no. Turn the buses around. It's becoming a community of black people where we already get the low scraps. And then you want to take the little scraps, the resources that we have, and put us at the bottom of the barrel? That's not fair. You cannot keep bringing immigrants in. The city does not have the money. You cannot track them. You ain't tracking them good at the police station. You don't know their name, but you want to spread them all over the city. It is unsanitary, it's unsafe, and it's just not right. Let me tell you, man, you do not want to get black people angry. They do not hold back. I want to hear that again. That is a series of black men and black women at different community groups. The one good thing about Chicago is before they bring the buses in, they have a town hall meeting. And most times the socialist mayor is there and his eyeballs are wide open, his mouth shut. Because he doesn't know what to say to his fellow black people. They, they want to basically hang him from the nearest telephone pole. That's the simple solution is no. Turn the buses around. It's becoming a community of black people where we already get the low scraps. And then you want to take the little scraps, the resources that we have, and put us at the bottom of the barrel? That's not fair. You cannot keep bringing immigrants in. The city does not have the money. You cannot track them. You ain't tracking them good at the police station. You don't know their name, but you want to spread them all over the city. It is unsanitary. It's unsafe. And it's just not right. Mm. 
So I've been contacted by many of these groups who have known me over the years. I've worked and helped them, especially in the south side, west side. That's predominantly black. There was a contentious meeting the other night uh, over a new migrant shelter that they wanted to put in the city Smith Park neighborhood. I mean, these black people are fired up. We can't even play half the cuts because there's so many F-bombs. I mean, I had a slip the other day, my own F-bomb. Thankfully, they caught it. I was so angry at this invasion of illegal aliens. Luckily, a wrong way, Lou Rafino caught my F-bomb. When I was listening to the audio and watching the video of that town hall meeting in the city's Smith Park section, these people were, like, fired up. And so they reached out to me and said, Curtis, can you help organize us? The first thing I learned is that Chicago charged $7 million to staff migrant shelters just during a month period of time. They don't have anywhere near the resource that we have in New York City. And then suicidally, what they're doing is they're now putting migrant shelters in the loop. If you've ever been in Chicago, the loop is they have the elevated subway system. It goes in the loop. In the middle of it is Center City. This is where the hotels are. This is where the tourists come. This is where commerce takes place. This is where the life of the city is. They're putting two more migrant shelters in the West Loop in high tourism areas. That city's dead. That city is dead on arrival. And they're planning on others. But again, the good thing before they do it, before they deliver the bad news, I guess it's by decree of the alderman of their city council is you have to have a town hall meeting. The alderman or older woman hosts it in that district, and the mayor is invited. And to his credit, he's shown up. And, boy, he catches grief. Then there's an alderman. Now, there's only one Republican alderman. Understand this. Uh, we think we have a lack of Republicans in New York City. It's true. You can fit all the Republicans in a closet. You can fit all the moderate Democrats in City Field, Yankee Stadium, Barclays Center, and Madison Square Garden. Uh, and obviously the radicals, the Democratic Socialists of America, you could fit them uh, in a lunchroom uh, at a local public high school. But it's moderate Democrats who are the majority of the citizens. In Chicago, uh, I I don't even, I've never met a Republican in Chicago, and I've been there many, many years. But they do have one Republican alderman. There is a Democratic uh, alderman who has now put before the city council a request to bring back ICE Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, that Eric Adams will not work with, nor any of the Democrats in the state of New York. In fact, uh, in the words of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, he called them thugs. Things are so bad in Chicago that a Democratic Hispanic alderman has said it's time to bring ICE back and work with them because we are overwhelmed follow the law or risk deportation. I think if we have the, the, the looming threat of deportation, 
for anyone who engages in, in gang, drugs, prostitution, or anything else more egregious, you know, hopefully that will deter some of the bad behavior we're seeing. Specifically, Lopez's ordinance would put some provisions back into Chicago's welcoming city ordinance that would allow the city to contact immigration authorities, or ICE, if migrants or other undocumented residents are arrested for gang, drug, prostitution, or sex crimes against minors. Look at that. Hispanic alderman requesting that ICE be brought back so that the city police department and the criminal justice system can work hand in hand with them as it was always meant to be. Not happening here in New York City, not happening here in New York State to our detriment. That's an absolute outrage. So I will be helping uh, folks in Chicago. I'm going to have to convince our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, Broadway Bill Lee, see maybe if he can buy an available station there, WIND. I used to do a lot of uh, talk radio on. Perfect for talk radio. Wind. It's what we do. We put a lot of hot air out there. It can actually uh, propel a hot air balloon to go above the city of Chicago, the McCormick building, the other high-rise buildings. Maybe uh, WIND, it's now a Spanish language station. Yeah, they're taking over. Oh, big time. (laughs) Oh, there's the old uh, uh, ABC outlet there. Yeah, other talk radio stations. WGN, that's the real power that my father used to listen to, where the owner-operator, a Protestant Irishman who hated, hated Irish Catholics, he owned the Daily News here in New York City, owned the Chicago Tribune, he owned the uh, Superstation, Channel 9, WGN, and he owned the radio station, WGN, which is a Superstation radio station throughout, heard throughout the Great Lakes and the Midwest. And he would editorialize in the morning. When my father was a boy, they'd listen to radio. That's when radio was king. There was no such thing as TV. And he would rail. He would say, can you believe it? Farmers out there. People are coming to Chicago where they have a 40-hour work week. You guys are milking cows. You're tilling your fields. Your families are working your farm seven days a week. It's un-American what they're doing in Chicago. So here's some uh, schlub up at a dairy farm in Wisconsin where a number of sleepers had dairy farms, and they're milking Elsie the cow in the morning like 4.30 and saying, 40-hour week in Chicago? Sell the farm. Sell Elsie. We're on our way to Chicago, that idiot, as my father said. It was a mass invasion of Chicago from all the farms being so because people said, Wow, 40-hour work week in Chicago. We're putting in like 80 hours a week on the farm. And Ann McCormick hated Irish Roman Catholics, even though he was Irish Protestant. Hated them, wouldn't hire them at the New York Daily News, the Chicago Tribune, Channel 9, the Superstation, the TV station there, or WGN, the radio station. I may have to be spending time in both cities. Now, that... The opponents there of the illegal alien centers are mostly black. The opponents here in New York City are mostly white and Southeast Asian and Asian. Wow. And I'm bringing them all together. Keep these damn illegal aliens out of our country because our elected officials have forsaken us. This is people power at its best. And, you know, they talk about former President Barack Obama being a great community organizer. Actually-
actually, he was a very good one, south side of Chicago. Although he was feeling his oats at the time, and he was a state senator, community organized, and he said, you know what? I'm going to run for Congress against Bobby Rush, the former Black Panther Party leader who became the congressman of the west side of Chicago. Hardcore black gangs. Gangs. So here's uh, Barack Obama, you know, the basically wannabe Howley from Hawaii who loved to smoke the Maui Wowie and Hindu Kush on the beaches of Oahu and dream of being a surfer boy and goes to Chicago south side, which is rough little city outside, uh, north of, uh, actually south of the south side, Harvey. Boy, that's bad. But south side is better than west side. West side's a war zone. So Barack Obama challenges Bobby Rush, former Black Panther Party leader and the congressman. And Bobby Rush kicked his ass in the Democratic primary by a three-to-one margin. In fact, in his memoirs, Barack Obama said it taught him a lesson about politics. And that is, you can be a nice guy, you can speak good, you can be uh, like a GQ model, because you look at Bobby Rush, man, he looked like he had been through the meat grinder. But when you go into a hardcore hood, you better be hardcore, because they kept calling him softy, softy Barack, softy Obama. And he lost that Democratic primary by a three-to-one vote, eventually went on to run for the U.S. Senate seat. Everything broke his way. His main opponent ended up being caught in a menage a trois, a three-way. Uh, so that did in his candidacy. And then they had to bring in a um, interloper. I forget which uh, black official they brought in from Maryland to run against him. He had no chance. And so he became U.S. Senator, and the next stop, uh, President Barack Obama, I'll never forget the call that I got from the floor of the Boston Garden in Boston, where he was giving uh, uh, an opening speech at the start of the convention that nominated uh, John Kerry. The person said to me, this guy's going to be President of the United States. I said, what's his name? Barack Obama. said, no goddamn Barack Obama is going to be president of the United States. Oh, boy, was I hopelessly wrong. Even after I heard the speech on replay, and it was a great speech, I said, ain't no way Americans are going to vote for a guy named Barack Obama. (laughs) Boy, I couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Schneider, Twisted Sister, we're not going to take it anymore. D. Schneider, iconic uh, rock and roller from Long Island. To his credit, D. Schneider has said this 
this song, We're Not Gonna Take It Anymore, can be used by any group. Any group. Left wing, right wing, doesn't matter. Trump uses it at his rallies. Second Amendment uh, rallies use it. Liberal groups have used it. And then recently, um, one of the liberal groups that was using it, I forget the name of it, uh, went woke on him because he was talking about the transgender issue. Uh, and they, they they just blew up on him. And he said, oh, I'll tell you what, you, you don't like my point of view, and then you can't use my song. But uh, I think we're going to use this song along with other songs as we fight back and we build this uh, coalition around the country involving blacks, Hispanics, whites, Asians, Southeast Asians to stop this illegal alien invasion. There's no other way of describing it. Nothing should happen to the uh, illegal aliens. There should be no harm done to them. But they're certainly taking advantage of an unbelievable opportunity to just walk into this country with no papers, no identification, no background checks, no vaccinations, no medical checks. And then we pay for every freaking thing that they get. Everything. Three-star hotels. Culturally appropriate food. Oh, they want con arroz habichuelas, beans and rice. Oh, by the way, could you throw a chuleta on top, a pork chop? Oh, we don't have any grub hubbing in. The taxpayers, suckers, will pay for it. They need an iPhone. They need a smartphone. They need a plasma 72-inch big screen TV in their hotel room. Mud on their mind. They need a PlayStation. They need health care. God, why don't you give them everything? You don't even give it to citizens. You could be down on your luck. You're a homeless guy or a gal. Maybe even a veteran. You got to go to a stinky shelter. I mean, if you've ever been in these shelters, eight men to a room and you got a curfew. You got to be in by 10 o'clock or you lose your bed. For the illegal aliens at their hotels, no tell, motels, holiday inns without the express, uh, whether it's in a tent, uh, wherever it is, there is no curfew. How the hell do you not have and impose a curfew on them and we're paying for everything they get? And everything they do. And then they got side hustles. They got those motorbikes. They got those Vespas. They're going up and down, tearing up the asphalt. They're on the sidewalks. No registration. No licenses. The cops are supposed to be stopping them, checking them. And if they don't have the appropriate paperwork, taking the Vespas and the motorbikes and bringing it back to the precinct uh, to eventually uh, end up seeing them destroyed and scrapped and put into the furnaces to be made all over again. Oh, yeah, this battle is continuing. It's getting bigger and bigger, and it all started. It all started at Creedmoor. Creedmoor, which is having the most problems. I got to go there Monday night. My God, they have 800 single, able-bodied men of military age with nothing to do, nowhere to go. They're hanging out in the parks now. They're smoking weed. They're drinking cerveza. They're taking their motorbikes and Vespas. They're rolling up and down the side streets like crazy uh, Hell's Angels forever. They're going into people's um, uh, back alleyways, uh, their parking garage areas, looking for bottles and cans, deposit to bring to the local uh, grocery stores, supermarkets and bodegas to get their nickel deposit. And they're certainly sizing up places potentially for home invasions. It's really getting bad. I'm going to have to send guardian angel patrols out there. 
It's an absolute mess, and that's only a mile and a half from uh, Nassau County. In fact, it's because of that that a, well, it's almost, almost been more than a decade that Alphonse Alley Boy D'Amato has been at war with me, the former U.S. Senator. We worked together on Pataki's campaign against Mike Umbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, who sided with Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo to get him reelected to a fourth term. How did that go? That was a disaster. Pataki became governor. And it was really because of the efforts of Al D'Amato. I mean, I helped, but Al D'Amato pushed him through. But it was uh, at the Columbus Day Parade on Fifth Avenue on Monday. We were doing a live broadcast during the Rip and Read 12 to 1. But at the very start of the program where we had our tent and we had our broadcast facility right there on 59th and 5th for everyone to see, Al D'Amato made the peace with me. Oh, Senator D'Amato here. Hold on a second. The best man fighting for New York and what's right to clean up the streets is Curtis Sliwa. And that comes from Al D'Amato. And I haven't always agreed with him, but he's doing one hell of a job. Curtis, keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Former Senator Al D'Amato, a regular contributor to the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion here at WABC. And as many of you know, from time to time, Senator, we've been like two scorpions in a brandy glass. Today, the stingers are off. We're in solidarity. It's over. We're going to sting the enemy that is trying to kill this state and nation. And let me tell you, the borders are open, and it's a damn disgrace. It's the disgrace not only for the President of the United States, but for the Democrats and the Republicans in Congress, both of them, who aren't doing a damn thing. Get together and protect the American people, you jackasses. <laughs> That's what we love about Senator That's why he's Tomato. a WABC contributor. That's right. Great stuff. Hold on. More, more from Al. You're going to hear from more of us together, because together we're unstoppable. That was at the start of the parade, our broadcast. And true to, true to form, he followed up. It's not just rhetoric. He actually called me and left a message on Friday. I haven't had the chance to get back to uh, Senator DeMotto. I will today. But he is fired up. I think what motivated uh, him to put aside our differences, and again, we haven't been together since we both campaigned for George Pataki to beat uh, Mario Facha Bruta Como, King Como I, being supported then uh, by Michael Baricic, Rudy Giuliani. We haven't been together since then. That's a long time that we've been at odds. In fact, most recently, uh, before this rapprochement, before we buried the hatchets at Columbus Day at the start of the broadcast, I attended a, uh, a presentation, a luncheon. It was during the mayoral campaign. I took uh, like an hour or two to come here, Rand Paul. Great presentation as he described his many uh, battles with uh, Dr. Fauci during the lockdown and pandemic when he would cross-examine him during the Senate hearings. It was great. Uh, he had been invited uh, to come uh, 
and make that presentation by both Senator Alphonse D'Amato and by our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis. And I was invited, and along with a number, a small handful of guests. And naturally, I had to get back out on the campaign trail, and uh, I wanted to give my salutations and greetings to John and Margo. I did, and then I went to Senator Al, who was sitting in the corner. And, man, he started dropping the F-bomb on me in front of everybody. Oh, man, big time. I think it was two, maybe three times. But I held my fire and said, look, this is the senator. Uh, he's like, what, 86 now? I figured he was 85 then. But fiery, fiery. I had to suck it up. I never thought this would be repaired. And what helped repair this? Uh, senator D'Amato, to his credit, observed all the organizing I was doing, and especially putting aside my differences with Congressman Peter King. Bruce Blakeman, the county executive in Nassau County, and obviously Senator D'Amato, as I was warning everyone uh, by us putting the protests up at Creedmoor that only a mile and a half away were the towns of Nassau County. Great Neck uh, in the north, where all the Persians are, Leonard's, uh, the Catering Hall, all along Northern Boulevard. Then obviously Franklin, uh, Franklin the Lakes, uh, no, no, no. Lake Success, that's where the old United Nations was first uh, started, Lake Success. New Hyde Park, they're closing the New Hyde Park Diner. Uh, Franklin Square, all those towns, all on the border there. And these illegal aliens are going to be infiltrating in there. And that's why I'm going there Monday night, having sit-downs with everyone. we really got to ratchet it up. These These, these guys are like... Uh, Causing all kinds of chaos out there. The 50th precinct is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. No, make that the 105th precinct uh, in Eastern Queens near the Nassau County uh, border. 50th precinct is right there, uh, right before you hit Riverdale. I walked back through there, right by 236 in Broadway is the old McDonald's. I used to be the night manager there. The precinct, 50th precinct is right south of that. And as I walked through the backyard of the 50th Precinct, they had like a 100 motorbikes, Vespas uh, that they had seized that did not have license plates, registration, uh, and they were all chained up in the backyard of the 50th Precinct. If you pass by there, you can see. And uh, they're going to be crushed and disposed of. But uh, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Uh Let's go to Scott in Neptune. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Scott. Uh, good morning, Curtis. Uh, I just wanted to say you were saying about uh, happy as a clam. I've always heard it as happy as a clam at high tide. I don't know whether you're leaving out the phrase or you just that's the way you heard it. Uh, but I just uh, I thought maybe that's what it was because it seems to me that a clam would be happier at high tide uh, because sometimes uh, I think they dry up. But uh, I'm not sure either. So, so uh, let me ask you a question, Scott. Sure. If you're not sure that a cl- I mean, why would a clam even be happy under any circumstance? When I look at clams, they don't look very happy to me. No, you're right. But uh, I don't know when a clam is happy or not. But it seems to me they thrive better when they're in the water. I don't know for sure. Though. Well, not the boiling water when they get prepared sometimes for consumption. I can tell you that. They're not happy as a clam like a lobster being put in boiling water. 
And by the way, when they're being baked, uh, baked clam, you think they're happy? You think they're happy as a clam, Scott? No, sir. You're damn right. I never saw a clam that looked happy. Never. I don't care whether it was high tide, low tide, no tide. I have never heard of anything that ridiculous. Oh, he's happy as a clam. When the hell is a clam ever happy? In fact, you know, when you have muscles, you ever walk walk along the shore like I did as a kid in uh, Jamaica Bay. You have all the horseshoe crabs there. I thought it was old German helmets uh, washing ashore from World War II. And then the muscles, they're underground. They're They're like uh, urinating at you. You think they're happy? Why are they spitting at you from under the sand? Who comes up with these things? Happy as a clam. I'm sure a lobster is happy when you're pouring it into the boiling water, right? Oh, happy as a lobster. Happy as uh, mussels. I guarantee you those mussels ain't happy. When you extricate them out of the sand, they're nice. They're embedded in the sand. They go, psst, psst. And then you dig them out. They ain't happy then. I can tell you that. Let's go to Joe uh, in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. First, I don't think you're going to uh, retrieve records from the vast majority of these people, say they're from Cuba or China. If they're coming this route, they might be thinking they're making a clean cut from the countries, and the countries may not even have information on them. The second thing is, does this mayor have someone that does his scheduling for him, a staffer, like a woman that holds him to a schedule at all, or... Is he just on his own? No, no. He has a extensive schedule, uh, 10 times more active than uh, Bill de Blasio, his predecessor, was. But a lot of it, I got to tell you, Joe, is what a borough president would do. Ribbon cuttings, giving out commendations, proclamations, you know, things that a borough president can do, uh, other officials can do. Man, he, he's got to be sitting down with his staff. He's got to be dealing with this migrant issue. Illegal alien issue, asylum seeker, whatever you want to call him. And he, he doesn't even have a grip on it. But speaking the story of the day, we need to recap before I turn it over to uh, the rabbi and the rev. Two sycophantic uh, followers of Eric Adams, their lips hermetically sealed to his tuchus. Uh, it's Reverend A.R. Bernard and uh, Rabbi Joe Potashnik. The story of the day I started uh, six hours is that there was a huge demonstration at Clemson University right there in the border between South Carolina and Georgia, major university uh, of late, top NCAA football team. They won the NCAA championships, I think, twice in the last 10 years. And I thought for sure, oh, must have been battling demonstrations, you know, Jewish students supporting Israel, Palestinians supporting, uh, uh, students supporting uh, Hamas, supporting uh, Palestinians. Nope. Clemson uh, University students were rallying to demand the return of menstrual products in the men's bathroom. Tampons. This was abs- Hell no. absolutely nuts. 
This is an organization called Take Back Pride at Clemson University who organized the event who claimed that students who have different gender identifications no longer feel safe. They don't feel safe because they've been deprived of getting tampons in the men's room. And I said to myself, when is the last time I was in a men's room like they used to have years ago where you would go in and they would have a a uh, vending machine right on the wall for condoms or, as they call them back then, rubbers? About 50, 50 cents and you get a condom if you got lucky. And then they'd sell you plastic uh, combs, you know, uh, or Kleenex tissues. You imagine they had a demonstration on the campus by students who wanted menstrual products, tampons, returned into the men's room. And they were holding up signs, queer and trans blood will be on your hands unless we get our tampon machines back in the men's room. Having had the experience with the tampon when my nose was broken, shoving it under my nostril, uh, that stemmed the flow of blood. Other than that, a man does not need a tampon. If you're using tampons, you are a female anatomically. Go into the woman's bathroom. But Clemson University is all chaotic now because they want tampons in the men's room. Oofah!